Hey, welcome to episode five of the Draft Champions podcast. I'm your co-host, Zach, and I'm with my other co-host, Mike. You can find Mike on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland, and you can find myself at Zach Roto. We have a special guest tonight, Toby G of the Batflip Crazy podcast. You can find him at Batflip Crazy on Twitter. Now, before we start, I just wanted to say that I just became a listener of the Batflip Batflip Crazy podcast over Christmas break. In fact, I listened to over 50 episodes when I was traveling on vacation in Bahamas. I've seen your audience grow rapidly over the last little while. And the thing I like about your podcast is that it's insightful. This is because you discuss strategy and specific strategy. You don't waver on what you feel works for you. And there's a lot of saturated content out there with positional rankings, et cetera. Um, Not that that's not included too, but what I enjoy about your discussions are that you don't ask the question who versus who you consider what with respect to when. And what I mean by that is you don't look at which player is better than another player as much as you look at what stat or what position you want to get at a certain point or under circumstances or under, under certain circumstances or under a draft format. So I've become a fan and I still think um, your podcast is underrated. Speaking of underrated podcasts, I can't talk about them without mentioning the Bases Loaded Pod, which is exactly how you found it on Twitter. Um, Mike and George and the other Mike and the other Zach are four of the sharpest guys in the, in the industry. And they are like the sleepers you get after pick 400 in the draft and holds. Awesome. They are like your hibernators. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, there you go. But like those sleepers, they will help you win your league. So you should, uh, I, they should and will have a bigger following this season. You mark my words. Um, well, you guys should have cut me off about three minutes ago. What's going on? That is a nice long-winded intro. Appreciate it. I told you, you should have cut me off three minutes (laughs) ago. Toby, welcome to the show, man. (laughs) Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me, Zach. Having listened to 50 episodes of um, my podcast, I feel like we're best friends already. (laughs) You know what? If you didn't say it, I would have. (laughs) Well, I I really appreciate you guys uh, having me on. It's great to be on the podcast. I know it's a new one, but uh, so many people are doing draft champions leagues right now. It's a, it's great timing for the pod to come onto the scene. Thanks. So um, I guess we'll start off with how did, how did um, tell us about how you got started in, I guess, the high stakes, high stakes uh, draft uh, drafting and just in the, in the industry in general, your podcast, what's your story? Yeah. So um, uh, quickly, like a few years ago, I think three years ago, I spent a lot of time researching fantasy baseball um, and my wife suggested that uh, I had talked like a little bit about starting a blog just to kind of get my thoughts out there because um, the way that I thought about fantasy baseball. So I joined Twitter and then my wife suggested that instead of spending all this time researching for just my fantasy teams that I kind of share that information. So I created the blog um, and then uh, joined Twitter. And I think Twitter was really the point where I kind of like it just opened my eyes to what was out there in terms of fantasy baseball content and and people and individuals. So I made a lot of relationships there, which was great. And I saw that everybody was playing on this platform called NFBC. Now at the time I lived in Washington state, so I wasn't allowed to actually play on NFBC. It's one of the few states that isn't allowed. But last year in February, I moved to California um, and I joined my first NFBC uh, leagues then. And the rest is history. That's like half my life now. So your, so your podcast, you've been doing your podcast, um, we started it last year, right? Yeah, I've been I've been doing the pod. Thank you for reminding me. I've been doing the pod for eighteen months. I think I'm on episode one oh nine. I think was the last one that I did. And yeah, when I first started it out, initially it was just kind of to share some of my thoughts. 
um, on fantasy baseball. Like I do a lot on Twitter, but I find that medium lim limiting. And then on my blog, I used to write a lot more. Like I used to put out a couple articles um, a week, but I just found that I wasn't, I spent like eight hours per article because I just wanted to kind of get it perfect and do all the stats right and all of that jazz. But I felt like I had it all in my head. And so uh, I really prefer the podcast platform because it allows me to get a whole lot more information out there without having to do like the eight hours time that it takes. It still takes me a long time to do the research, but I put out like my short snippets on Twitter, like on terms of player analysis or just analysis in general strategy. Some of my teams engage with folks there, but then the podcast is really the long form platform that I have to kind of share what I'm thinking about strategy, just general ideas about fantasy baseball. And then I have a co-host, um, Bubba, uh, we started that like we're on episode 18, I think, and we do that on a weekly basis. And that's been really great. I think we, um, we complement each other really well. And then I fly solo on the pod a lot of the time. I'm hoping to have some guests, but the challenge with me is that just I'm never sure like which night of the week I'm going to be free. And so it's really hard for me to, uh, to schedule too many things out in advance uh, with the kiddos and with life happening and having to clean up the house and all that jazz. So um, hopefully I'll have some interviews on there, but mostly it's me flying solo and then me and Bubba on a weekly basis there. I will shamelessly plug myself as available most, uh, <laughs> most <laughs> nights as needed. I mean, I just, I'm just that guy. Honestly, man, I love talking face baseball. If you really did need uh, somebody last minute, Zach and I are actually honestly pretty available. So we would gladly return the favor for you coming on here. Well, Mike, you're so busy. Well, you're bit, you're busy, man. <laughs> you're doing three a week. I'm, 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 I'm flexible. This is all I'm, I, 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 I work around our guest and Mike. I did Mike, three. I did three today. <laughs> you and Bubba, you and Bubba should make a podcast because you guys both do like three. <laughs> it's so hard to, cause the West coast and East coast thing, like we have one West coaster on our podcast and I'm so lucky that he's able to, cause like, I guess me being my availability later is usually pretty good because I have kids as well. So my kids are well asleep by the time I start. So I just have to deal with the long nights. Guys what would you like call you, it? Bases loaded with Bubba? <laughs> I don't know. We, we yeah, you got to gotta think out, of something. It, well, he has bench. So bench and bases loaded. It kind of like it would have to be something like that. Something involving the two. But regardless. That's the, that's the joke. No. I don't get the joke. <laughs> it went right over my head. Whew. But regardless, I mean, obviously, Bubba's a busy man, but I, he's – that's a whole other topic, man. You're going off – I'm going off the rails. You're going even farther off the rails. You know why I sort of paused and left that awkward pause in there when we were um, – when we were asking Toby that question is because I'm on the clock and I was just debating in my head and I sort of got sidetracked. I'm in four drafts right now and I'm on the clock. So I'm trying to decide. So are you – this is the league you're in with Toby? No, it's not. This is a league I'm in oh, with um, oh, Ray, non Ray, Ray Butler who's coming on next week. I'm on uh, – Non-essential information right now then. Yeah, I'm on pick 37. It's, it's exciting. It's the third round pick. You got okay, Torres, you, you've, peaked my, you've piqued my interest. Where, where okay, are you picking? So what do you need? This is not. These, I got two. I've been in this as like my ninth or tenth draft. I got two guys I never got before: Lindor and Strasburg. I just that's how I started the draft. I just you know what what I'm trying to do. What I what I'm deciding to do right now is there's there's a big investment in, in the first couple of rounds. And you and for me, I have like I guess my guys in the later rounds that I tend to always I, my my later rounds of the draft tends to be more similar than the first rounds of the draft. So if I diversify, Actually. if I diversify the first couple of rounds, because if you get a big injury, it sort of well that hurts you. So if I get a diversify my portfolio, call it in the first three or four rounds, and I stick to 
stick to my guns for the rest of the draft, it, it probably, it will, I guess it will give me a, a, I guess a hedge for if, if I do hit on uh, my later guys to maybe win an overall. Does that make sense to you? Of course it makes sense. So, I just don't see it happening because you're not going to win because me or Toby are going to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> so, so what are you thinking? You, all that, what, what are you, where are you leaning? With the- I, I ask you for your advice. I'm, I'm leaning uh, Peter Alonzo. I've never seen fall this far into the mid-third round. I can't I don't behind want, I, that. I, I kind of want to share of him, but then, I, then, then I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to make my second hitter somebody that's going to give me zero stolen bases. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of leading Ozzy Albies. I'm kind of liking him. I don't have a share of him. And he's growing on me, man. He's really the thing is, you feel, he's growing on you, but his stat cast page kind of sucks. Well, you just you know you're getting 2020 and like like 180 combined runs in RBIs. Like you know, I feel like that's like you're getting that. Fuck it. Bit, okay. Like, Fuck it. Take him. Like him. Two, 275, 280 average. Like he's growing on me. What do you think? What do you think about uh, him, Toby? Ozzy Albies? Yeah, Ozzy Albies. Thank you. I, was, oh, I, I, I love him. He, uh, he was one of my guys earlier on in the year, but he's just pushed up so much. I got him, like, I think, uh, pick 46 or something like that in the fall uh, first pitch Arizona league. That feels about right, but I know now, like, Zach just took him at 37, so. Yeah, he's much earlier. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like. The for position- sure. I kind of wanted him. This is, this is, actually, this team so far has all new players for me. And I liked Albies. He just he doesn't hit the ball very hard, but neither does Altuve. I like Altuve too. Could have taken him, but he's I got he's got mid twenty home runs two straight years, and he's twenty two with three years under his belt. And yeah, he, you know what? Albies is so hot right now. He's hotter than Hansel Hansel Robles. No Robles. Hansel. Hansel. Impossible. <laughs> no, and I've talked about this before. I like. I like getting a second baseman in the third or fourth round. Like that, the third and fourth round, I think is your sweet spot to get your second baseman because if I miss up, and, and this has happened, I think maybe they might have happened in our draft that we're in. I missed on second base, and I sort of scrambled to to get something, and I felt cool. I to. Uh, I got my first share of uh, Kevin Biggio because of our last DC together, or the one that's still drafting actually, Zach. Um, it's finishing up final ten rounds, but that one is like I. Wasn't a big fan of Biggio where he's going, but I'm all about team construction. So I reached, and I always say reached in quotations because there's no such thing as reaching in any draft. You fill your needs and your and what you you fill your team out as you need as you go. Hundred percent. So Biggio was there. I needed speed. I needed second base. Well, I didn't really need second base. It was more for the speed because speed got really pushed up in that draft. I was like, well, it can't hurt to get a second baseman. I'll take the power speed combo in Biggio. So that was my first year of Biggio. And that's like kind of shows to show you. It's like I'm not a Biggio guy at his price usually, but team context mattered there. And that was my first share of Biggio. So I got him and I, and I probably took him. Well, I can only imagine what his min, min pick is anyway. I'm curious if you have that up. I have it up. I can search it right now. I feel bad. Toby. I always look at that. It's uh, 107 and his max Ooh. is 161. Ooh. What, did you, what did you get him at? When did I take him? Am I that accept them in? No, no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have. The draft has to complete before it um, will filter into that. All right, draft. you guys can move. You get. You guys can move on while I figure out where I took him. All right, I'm going to pull up our draft board right now. The one me and Toby are in. Okay. Let's look at. Let's look at our teams just quickly. Uh, um, so, Toby, do you want to go through? Who you, do you have yours pulled up? Um, I can. Uh, let me get it right here. Yeah, I have it now. Why don't we why don't we take a take a look at three year team? Okay. I think you might have said it like right away looking at it. I think you might have set a new minimum. You know who I'm talking about? Oh, Real Muto? No. Second round. 
Oh, Marte, yeah. Yeah, a couple new minimums, I think, actually. Okay, let's um, go. Okay. You want me to just dive in? Yeah, just dive in. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, with my team, the draft was a little bit interesting because DeGrom and Cole went really early at, um, at picks number two and three, which I'm wholeheartedly in support of. Um, I picked Cole at number one when I had the opportunity yes. earlier. I was, I was in that's that why I, I joked on Twitter. I'm like, which, which team is Toby's? And I figured uh, everyone yeah. would think one of the teams two or three. Yeah. And, and then, and then normally, you know, and Verlander occasionally makes it to 14. I think that's like around his ADP, but he's pushing up. I think the pitchers, as we get closer to the year, I think people, pitchers will move up. Um, just, that's just kind of what happens on, on NFBC. Um, and so Verlander already went and I wanted to get myself an ACE and the four guys that I'm kind of interested in at this point to be my ACE are DeGrom, Cole, Verlander, and Bueller. I'd much rather have the first three. I just think that they've done it before on a pretty consistent basis, and the strikeouts um, are fairly elite. Um, Bueller, the strikeouts have been solid. Everything's been solid, but he hasn't had that spectacular year yet. And so, but I still really like him. Just the context with the Dodgers is great. I think this long off season with the short playoffs that, that the Dodgers were in will will do him well. So I ended up going with him, and then coming around. One of the things that I'm big on is the need for speed early. Right, you can take whatever. Um, there's a lot of different strategies and ways to win. You don't need to, to pick uh, speed early, but just from my perspective, like I like speed a lot. And I've been in this position one other time where I'm drafting towards the back end and speed isn't necessarily there. And I went with another starting pitcher at that point in time, but I have some Mike Clevenger, I have some Scherzer and I decided to go with Starling Marte, who I've been wanting to go with for a long time at pick 17, which I think is a new min. But he's solid all around. He's a five-category uh, contributor. I think the new ball helps him out dramatically um, just because, you know, what he lacks is power. And so you add on a few home runs to that profile. And, yes, the rest of the league is, um, is catching up, but he gets you closer to that average number of home runs that you need um, on your team. And um, he just contributes, and he's consistent, and he actually doesn't need 600 plate appearances to do that or 100, 150 games to do it. Last year in 130, I'd easily take uh, the line that he put up. So I went with Marte there. I love Lucas Giolito, who I got in the third round. Um, I got JT Realmuto um, in the fourth. I'm big on getting, especially in this format, um, a strong catcher. I just think it can really give you a leg up. Like there's a lot of, there's not that much that separates people, I feel like, in a lot of the middle rounds, like even starting this early in a draft. And I think Realmuto really separates separates himself from the other catchers not only with, like with the overall production but with the stolen bases and I think every stolen base counts in today's game and the fact that he's you know he's projected for six but he's had nine or more in three of the last four years or eight or more in three of the last four years that bodes pretty well for him I was excited to get Yoan Mankata who fell to me in round five um, at pick whatever that is 74 um, again, pretty balanced profile, not going to hurt you in any particular category. And I think there's another level for him in terms of power. Um, let me know if you guys want me to, uh, to stop as I go through this or have any, have any ideas on it. Um, and then Eloy Jimenez, he also fell um, to pick 77, I think that is. Or, yeah, 77. Um, and I was, I was torn because I was torn between him and Jeff McNeil because I knew that I needed batting average. And... I ended up going with Eloy because if you look at the second half of his season, it really seems like things started to lock in for him. And I think he's a guy who can contribute in all facets outside of stolen bases and contribute in a really big 
way. I mean, his WOBA over his last 40 games was like over 450. Um, and then amazingly, like, because I'm drafting 14, like 24 picks later or whatever it was, uh, 26 picks later, you know, Jeff McNeil was still available. What overall um, pick was that? That was pick 104. Wow, that's and, far. And to me, that's a huge boon. And what happened in the draft is starting pitching went really, really early. Like it, like it just uh, it went off the board super quick. And so there was a ton of hitting values. And I think this might be something that happens as we get closer to like, you know, a draft day as starting pitchers move up is there's going to be a lot more valuable value away, uh, available for later hitters. And then coming back around after McNeil, I went with Yasiel Puig just because I wanted some more speed. I had Marte, I had Real Muto, I had McNeil. You know, Real Muto is projected for six stolen bases, McNeil nine. But Puig with his 16 stolen bases, like that's a really nice compliment to Marte. And it's another, relatively speaking, like four to five category um, uh, profile. I didn't necessarily want to go for another outfielder because I think outfield's pretty deep, but that was the profile that seemed to make the most sense there was a lot of guys i mean eddie rosario was still on the board jorge soler was still on the board um so some guys who really fell pretty far in the draft because of where pitching was at and then next up and this is the only pick i questioned just a little bit was danny santana um at 134 he fell a little bit and the, my my overall thought process was that i was light on power i was going to need power um which was probably going to come like so I needed to save my outfield spots a little bit for speed um, and I also needed to get some power but getting speed at first base really opens up the playing board for you because there's so little speed at that position that's and true when you can when you when you can get speed from that position it kind of opens up like whereas you're normally like okay I'm gonna need you don't you never need like anything from anything anything but as your draft develops you're like all right my first baseman is going to need to get me 30 well, I was in a situation where I was essentially like without getting a first base eligible guy with stolen bases, relying heavily on my outfield to get stolen bases or my middle infielder. And a lot of the middle infielders with a ton of speed were really off the board. And so I felt like the, again, the kind of balance profile that he provides, the counting stats aren't off the charts, but like the ability to go 2020 is just something that I really value just for holding on to value this early in drafts. Uh, on the way back, I got Max Freed. Um, uh, I really like Max Freed a lot. He pitched well last year. Um, and then in the second half, he really started to improve. The curveball is really good. If you look at his BABIP and his strand rate, at least his BABIP is really high, 336. Uh, he did much better on, on quality of contact in the second half because he increased the usage of that curve, I believe, if, if my memory is serving me correctly. Um, and so he's got a way to kind of minimize that. And I like the fact that he was successful even with having that really high Babbitt so that even if he isn't able to rein in that to like a league average Babbitt, something of that nature, um, that he is able to, um, uh, that he's still able to be successful and be a guy who contributes. And, you know, he should be able to put up volume after I think like around 170 innings, uh, last year. And so Freed is a guy that I like a lot. And then, um, and he also had a, like uh, quality of contact actually isn't predictive year to year um, for pitchers. Like, so something like Xwoba, but barrel rate is. And so uh, with Freed, um, his barrel rate was one of the lowest in the league. So I know that he can limit quality of contact. And then not surprising anybody who listened to my catcher preview <laughs> podcast coming back around, I picked up Salvador Perez. So my combo of JT Realmuto and Salvador Perez as my top two catchers is those are based on my projections the top two most valuable catchers in the game based on steamer projection 
Um, and so I have those on my team in a format where catcher can be really iffy. I think that's one of the things for me about like, especially this format about catcher is in this format, when you can't go to the waiver wire and stream people and there's just so much movement, like in the catcher field, like guys who just freaking suck, you know, and like end up, end up moving to the second role or injuries, things of that nature, having two really solid catchers is I think a huge advantage over everybody else. And I think if you look at my team and where I am in the different categories and you compare it to other teams, I actually don't think that it's hurt me really in the way that I've constructed. I've been able to construct my team. I am a little bit worried about power. So Zach, don't draft any dudes who have a lot of home runs from now until I, I catch up on power, but I'm, I'm do down in power. And if I'm down in any category, that's the category that I want to be in because I think later in drafts, there's a ton of guys who are going to get you power. Like just think about Eric Thames, right? He just signed. I just picked him up at over ADP of 400. He had 25 home runs last year in a down year. And he's not going to help you out that much, but like you just rotate him in when he's playing against three out of four right-handers with the Nationals lineup, batting in a good position in that lineup with the guys that he's going to have in front of him who are kind of OBP machines. Uh, I really like, you know, somebody like that who can fill in, but I'll get better guys than that between now and then, but that's kind of how we'll just draft him in round 12. Yeah, and we're just drafting round 12. So maybe, you know, maybe like, I'll just draft him in round 12. He sounds pretty – you talked him up pretty nice. There you go. You should do it. I, I actually, <laughs> You'd I, actually I, encourage that. Home runs is, I think you should definitely do that. A <laughs> couple, thing, couple things uh, uh, about what you're saying. And, oh, sorry, did you – I think you got one more to go through, right? Uh, and then I had picked up Hansel Robles. Like uh, for me, like from a closer perspective, and I'll talk more about it later, like I don't like investing um, a high pick in closers. Um, I think there's a couple of guys that stand out, like, you know, your haters, um, some of those guys, but there's just so much volatility from relief pitchers. The sample size is small. A couple rough outings can really ruin ratios. And if you get like some really bad variants, you end up blowing three saves in a row and some, somehow like being out of the closer role. And so what I like to do is invest in kind of the second tier of the closers. I think there's like a group of like 10 to 15 who look like they solidly have the job. Um, and then I like to go after the, the guys who who have who have shown recently that they can produce some pretty high skills and Robles actually, you know, I was super into him this year. I was pushing him over but Buttry when the Angels closer role was coming up. And for Robles, like I actually thought he wasn't that good. I just thought he was getting saves. And then I dug in in the off season and he started throwing his change up fifty percent of the time towards the end of the season. He actually threw a perfect game where he had twenty seven up uh, and down at a certain point in the season. Um, and he, uh, but he, his skills were off the chart once he started increasing his usage of the changeup. And so that really helped me buy in. He's got velocity, like elite velocity. Um, and he's got that elite changeup and just those two pitches in that closer role in a team that should be, you know, decently good. Uh, that was enough. There's a couple other guys that I often get. Like I have a couple shares of Jose Leclerc, Emilio Pagan in that Leclerc range. just got taken. Yeah, he just got taken. Um, Brandon Workman, I don't have any yet, but I actually like him a lot as well. Like he seems pretty ingrained as the Red Sox closer. He has got some good pitches, some control issues, but his curveball is super good and he doesn't give up a lot of hard contact. Um, at least he hasn't so far. So we'll see. That's kind of how I generally approach and that's how you see that kind of working out in my draft. I got uh, two questions for you uh, uh, based on what you just went through and one, I guess, comment. Mm -hmm. um, one of the comments that I wanted to just a neat thing I wanted to point out was when you took Eloy and uh, Moncada back to back on the, one of the terms, there was a, just a grouping of White Sox 
And I think somebody said they just want to grab all the White Sox because their lineup's going to be so good because in, in – in a span of five picks, you saw Moncada, Jose Abreu, Eli Jimenez, and Louis, oh, Ro- Louis Robert right. go back to back to back almost. And I'm looking around. There's nothing else around there. But, yeah, those White Sox, if you, if you can stack them, that might be a good uh, – that might, that might do you well. Yeah. They've got, a great, they've got a great lineup. I just think, like, individually as players, those guys are really good. And if Abreu had made it past the turn, I probably would have gone with Abreu because I think first base isn't that deep. And Abreu provides you with a ton of average. And he's been very, very consistent outside of one injury-shortened season. And even then, he didn't, like, kill you by any stretch of the imagination. So I probably would have gone him over Jimenez. But um, Steve Brun, who's drafting at team number 15, who's a great player, great NFBC player, um, he went with Abreu there, which was, a, which was a nice little pick. I have a bunch of Abreu this year. I, I, he's one of those boring guys that, I, that, I, that I've been ending up with because, yeah, because the same reasons you just, you just listed. So two other, two other questions I have for you there is uh, one is how do you find the, you're talking about the expected barrels? Where, where do you find that information? Um, oh, I, no, uh, the, I said expected WOBA and barrels, barrels per batted ball event, uh, just on StatCast. Okay. Data. For, yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a StatCast uh, leaderboard for hitters, and there's also one for pitchers. But then if you go into the individual player page and you click on the little box underneath the player's like head, there's a there's a dark in the box that says stat cast in the bottom right if you click on that you can scroll through the um uh through the through the stat cast data for that particular player they don't have everything like one thing that that kind of annoys me is they they oftentimes list barrel percentage by barrels per batted ball event which i think is great but a lot of times guys will have really high barrels per batted ball event which is actually more predictive than per plate appearance but because they walk a ton, their barrels per plate appearance isn't isn't that high, and that's what uh, I want to know. Because like I want to know like how often a guy is going to hit a home run, right? Like you could have a really high barrels per batted ball event, but if you walk in fifteen percent of your plate appearances, that's fifteen percent of your plate appearances that you're not making contact with the ball. Where yeah, you're getting on, and that's going to help with your run scoring, but it's not going to be too effective in helping you hit you know uh, more home runs maybe, which is what I'm really looking at when I look at barrel. Right, that's going to affect your expo, though, right? Yeah, exactly. The other th- the other question I had is you when you said you wanted to take um, McNeil and you passed on McNeil for Eloy, you said you needed average. Now, when you took Eloy, you said you needed power. Uh, I think Eloy or Puig, you said you needed power, and I can see that because you have uh, Marte and you have um, McNeil. Um, but it looks like you're pretty set for average. You had, you had Sterling Marte, you had Romuto, you had Mancada who hit for a high average. Maybe it's just you're not expecting him to um, hit for yeah, a high his average. Pro- his projection is like 267, so right around right around 80th percentile for what you need. So you're not expecting him to repeat with the average he had last year? No, I think he'll do better because I think a lot of times the projections miss on guys who have you know skills that may not like show up. Like um, – uh, Alex Chamberlain was doing his thing about like who has the tightest launch angles and Moncada is actually one of the people that does have one of the tightest launch angles and a lot of those guys had really high BABIPs as well because he hits the ball at really nice launch, launch angles on a, on a regular basis so I actually think he's going to have higher I guess what I meant by that I didn't, I didn't need it but it's kind of like stolen bases like I if you if you lose sight for a second on stolen bases or batting average as you're drafting then I think it's super easy to find yourself in a position where you go into it and you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm at, I'm at, I'm batting 268 through 12 rounds. 
And what I need for 80th percentile is a 268 batting average, right? Like 80th percentile in the league. That's what it was last year in DCs. And I'm, and then I'm looking at that and then I hit round 13 and I'm like, Oh, wait a second. I need power because I've gotten a ton of speed and I don't have power. What type, who has a good batting average with power late in drafts, right? Like maybe right. one or two profiles, but they're not there. So if I'm going to fill that power need, I need to not only be good on batting average, I need to be stellar in batting average early on so that I'm not, you know, like trying to, you know, like balance. I don't want to be, I don't want to need to be as balanced later on in a draft because if I need to be balanced later on in a draft, I'm going to have a crappy team because there aren't balanced profiles. Like if there was balanced profiles available later on in drafts, like drafting would be super easy. So what I'm really trying to do is give myself an advantage in speed and an advantage in batting average early on um, because that's where the, the best and most consistent guys who do that are located. And then later on in drafts is where I'm going to try to target power or RBI or some upside guys who I think can do better than maybe their projection suggests or who are in a good lineup, things of that nature. So that's what I mean by like I needed batting average is I felt myself being like, I got a lot of guys who are like, 270 hitters based on the projections and I want to have you know like I want to be you know closer to 280 or you know 275 heading coming out of those first couple rounds yeah yeah cool all right um I mean I'll I'll try and get through mine quickly we can just yeah you can interrupt me um as you see fit but uh I had the fifth overall pick and I got Christian Yellick which is a gift in (laughs) my opinion it's amazing to do that right yeah I don't think that's obviously a new max pick min or max i think it's max pick um i like yeah like not really much to discuss there i can say that he probably might have the most upside of the top three um Mm -hmm. because he has the most upside in batting average and almost in stolen bases um probably could get you 30 uh maybe akuna has a little bit more upside aside from that but anyways he's good um (laughs) next i took uh jack flaherty um as uh my uh first starting pitcher in the second round that's pretty standard for me um, Flaherty is my sixth favorite pitcher after um, the top uh, five, which includes Bueller and Scherzer. You're one of uh, those. We're gonna we're gonna have a we're gonna have a disagreement later. This will be yeah. Awesome. He's one of those. Yep, I am one of those. And then and then um, in the third round, this is where I, I I struggled a bit here. I I was debating between uh, Luis Castillo, who I ended up selecting in the third round as my second starting pitcher, and the reason I did select him was. Um, Actually, who was I debating? I'm looking at who went afterwards. I was uh, probably going to take uh, oh one of the, one of the second basemen. So either Altuve, Albies, or or, or Ketel Marte. Um, and Ketel Marte is one of those guys where people aren't so certain of him. I'm pretty I'm pretty confident with him. I think he's a, a really safe player. He's going to get you your ten stolen bases, and people aren't so confident with his power. But man, like the guy's listed at 160, like 160 pounds. He's jacked. And he hits the ball hard. Like some of his home runs are yeah. huge. I think I think I think people are underestimating his power, and yeah. I think he's broken out. I don't. I, I I'm pretty confident with him. I like him a lot. So I was debating between a pitcher, which was Castillo, or one of those second basemen. And the reason why I took Castillo is because I saw, like you had mentioned, still in, um, starting pitching was flying off the board, or I anticipated it to fly off the board just because of knowing who I'm playing with and judging by the first two rounds. So I, I looked at it. My, I looked at the board and I said, "Okay, coming back into the fourth round, I think I had the um, well, that would have been 45, 47, 49, 51, 53, 
50, I think I had the 56th overall pick. And I thought to myself, if I pass on Castillo here, am I going to end up with one of the other pitchers that I like? And those two pitchers would have been Aaron Nola or Chris Paddock. I really like those two. I really like those two pitchers. And I'm like, looking at their ADP, it's unlikely they come back to me. And they ended up going back to back before my next pick. So I did make the right decision in hindsight um, to go with a pitcher there. And then I, in the fourth round, I selected Chris Bryant. Um, he's one of those players where I think he could, I think he has even first to second round upside. Um, I think he, uh, he's uh, got some upside in the power department. I think he could, could hit for a good average. I, I just think he's a good overall player. Um, I know there's trade talks, but that doesn't really bother me. I think uh, I like that pick and he's not going to get you. He's not going to give you a goose egg against Owen bases either. Um, round to round five. Uh, this is a little bit of a reach. Um, I took uh, Bo Bichette over Manny Machado and um, other players like Vladimir Guerrero, Matt Olson, just because of um, like what, what you were talking about, Toby, is uh, the average in stolen bases. And you know what? He doesn't have a long track record. I think approximately 100 at bats. But um, if he did it for um, maybe 100 or 200 more at bats, you'd be talking about him round or two above this probably so uh, i know there's an element of risk there but um there's also a ele an element of risk not securing those categories uh, and um that position of shortstop so coming back around to the sixth round i i took a role this chapman and this is not something i typically do i've i've had chapman before and uh um just not this early uh and i've noticed that uh just uh, looking at the draft, looking at the more recent drafts. And what I've noticed is in the draft champions leagues so far, and I've done quite a few of them, closers are going late, later than I remember, but now they're starting to get pushed up and I'm doing it. I did a draft. Um, I started a draft before this one with Vlad Sedler and closers and pitchers were just going crazy high. And there has been even more so than this draft and the, the values on hitting and people were talking about it. The values on hitting were, were very, very good. So I didn't want that to happen again. And taking Chapman in the sixth round was a little bit out of my comfort zone, but um, I last draft, I I'm really struggling to find a, a second closer and I'm ending up looking at guys like I just drafted Sean Anderson on the, on the giants. And then I got all these um, other guys in my queue that are just sort of <laughs> almost dart, dart throws. Um, so I took Chapman there. Um, uh, yeah, my my only real closer is Archie Bradley in that league. So that that really um, is this so league really, we're in? League we're in by any chance? No, no, that's the, it's a league that uh, Vlad means Vlad or oh, okay. Because I was to say the league I'm in. This I, this is I took the same strategy of taking uh, Chapman early. It was the first time I've done that as well. But I actually really like that team because I feel like, like I I noticed that hitters are starting to fall. And I'm like I I'm lacking a little bit where I would like to be com in compared to power, similar to your concerns, Toby, on your recent team. So I can understand that, but it's like, I'm still looking at some guys late, like a Matt Adams type that maybe he'll get 20 home runs if he gets signed somewhere or whatever. So maybe. I'm saying it's just like, I'll, I'll take these dart. I'd rather take the dart throws looking for home runs versus the dart throws looking for saves this late. That's all. Yeah, I agree. Um, I totally agree with that comment. <laughs> Round seven. I took Mac, Max Muncy. Um, Big reason there is because I did not have a first or second baseman and he has a nice position flexibility, but also he's a good player and he fell to a nice value in round seven. Uh, round eight, um, I 
I debated between, I took Yuli Gurriel because, um, again, uh, he's a good source of batting average. And I went and I re-looked at his stats in the last couple of years. His power is an outlier last year, but again, maybe it's the ball. I don't know. Um, I'm not so confident with his home run ability, but his batting average, he's been so consistent. So that's, a, that's just filling. He's, I think he's unheralded in, in that way. That's just me. Um, so I, I took him. There's other players available like Trey Mancini, and we'll get into we'll get into a couple of those guys later, or even actually um, a catcher. So I could have taken Garver or um, Contreras, which I passed on, um, and uh, really taking a role as Chapman forced me to pass on a catcher here. Um, but yeah, never take it, closers early. Yeah, it's. I'm just um, kidding. I'm just kidding. There's a, yeah. There's, Kind of it's, a, it's a give and take. I don't know. It's um, it's just what happened. Uh, there's still there's still a lot of catchers out on the board, but I'm but I've missed I've missed on all the top ones by now. If you um, take a top closer, you're almost a top catcher. You got to pick and choose your battles. Well, not necessarily yeah, going to happen, but usually it's like I I know I I would go one way or the other. I'm either going to take a better catcher or a better closer. I've done both, and I feel like. W- each team has a strength and weakness by doing such anything. Well, Toby here, he's taken two really good catchers. So and he could have he he taken a closer instead of Salvador Perez, and uh, his team's still looking good. I, oh, no, I'm not, there's nothing yeah, wrong with the team. I just want to see, see how it turns out because, again, like this, like I, I, I'll get to my weaknesses, like something I learned from the first two drafts, which is why I like my third draft so much. But I'll let you finish before I get into Yeah, I only got three more, three more picks here. Um, my next pick um, is Miguel Sano. And he's just, I guess, one of my guys, as you probably realize by now, Mike. <laughs> you get him everywhere. Just, yeah, I end up getting him everywhere just because I look at the number of home runs he hit and the number of bats. And I know we keep talking about Jack guys, but he looks like he's in really good shape at the end of last year, along with Ked El Marte. Those guys just like look like they hit the ball really. Just the eye test on Sano and Marte. Just, I just like him a lot, and I think uh, I think Sano could um, could hit a ton of home runs. And if, Sano is like Stanton without the price tag and the yeah, lowest batting average. The batting average. He's Sano is really going to be really tough to get away from in an OBP leagues. But anyways, he's just one of those guys. I think he's gonna. He's one of those guys where I feel he's going to outperform his projections. Uh, even though the projections are pretty generous on him. And then my last two picks were just, uh, I guess, guys that were – they're upside guys that have that, are, that have fallen relative to ADP. And uh, they kind of make me uncomfortable with this draft. Um, I think it was I think my draft is going decent. And then these are guys where I could have taken a closer or I could have taken a catcher. And I, may, I might have – maybe I should have. But I took Kyle Tucker and then I took Jesus Lazardo. And just because – I, I haven't had a share of either of them yet this year in a couple in several drafts. Um, wanted shares, um, but I don't know. I can't really say taking both of those players back to back were the greatest strategy. But whatever. So, so I have a just question. money, right? <laughs> yeah, just money. Overall strategy questions actually here. I found myself because again, I, I've done draft and holds in the past with you over at Fantrax. No big deal. These are higher stake draft and holds essentially. I find myself not drafting enough relief pitchers and leave myself a little light on the catcher. Is there a number – I'll ask you, Toby, first. Is there a number that you'd like to try to get a range of between relief pitchers and catchers? Like how many of each position do you like to leave your draft with or do you feel comfortable leaving your draft with? Um, so relief pitchers and catchers. Uh, for catchers, I like to have uh, probably four options. What I'll generally do is – get two guys who are solidified as starters with a decent number of the plate appearances. 
And then depending on who the catcher is and who their backup is um, and, and where they're going in ADP, then I will – like I'll always prioritize getting the guy that I think is the best catcher. But then if there's like a handcuff, that's decent, right? So if I get like um, – uh, Perez is a bad example because of uh, whoever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, don't feel yeah, exactly. neither. Same thing with Real Muto, actually, right? They don't have very good ones. So what I would want to do is get a guy like a Jacob Stallings, who is the number one catcher in Pittsburgh. Hits for a decent average. Actually, mm-hmm. his projection is decent, and he's going like around pick six hundred. Um, uh, I may go for um, Romine's uh, another one that's kind of creeping up. Castro, those are two. Romine's been creeping up. If I miss out on like, um, uh, let, let, let me just, uh, if I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but there's like, um, so guys that I have found myself with, like Danny Jansen is one. Uh, in one league, I have Williams Astudio as my catcher too. Uh, and then I made sure that I backed him up with a guy who had consistent playing time. And that way I can kind of, um, as he finds his, his way into playing time, I can kind of rotate him in. Jason Castro would be a good example of a guy who's probably going to have a, you know, AD, who ADP right now is around 450, but it'll be closer to like, you know, 350 or something like that, that I might go after. Um, Stallings, Tony Walters, I got in the last league that I did. Um, Jose Trevino before the Torino signing was looking like a possible um, starting catcher. Isaiah Kinner, Falefa. Um, so guys like that, like, um, and then if, you know, when I have Yadier Molina, then I'm getting uh, Kniser, um, things like that, like guys who actually have decent backups, then I'll try to handcuff them with the backup. But I want three or four guys that at least look like they have a decent path to playing time. At um, least part-time at bats, right? Like something, some, you want, yeah. you don't want empty ro- roster spots. Like, but you got to think, what about guys like, Oh, what's his face? I drafted him in the first round out of sheer desperation, and now I'm just genuinely curious. You got to think he's going to get a spot. I can't think of his name right now. Jeez. Uh, Lucroy. You got to think he lands somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. He could. He's not, you know, he used to be something, but. Oh, I had a lot of him last year. Same same reason, and he didn't do much. He's like a Buster Posey .50. <laughs> Listen, I, and I'm not saying he's going to be much, but I, gra- I grabbed him very late as my fourth catcher in my very first draft and hold or DC, I'm sorry. And by the way, I'm looking at my first DC and I realized it took me about three to get like happy with my team. I am so unhappy with a couple of these teams because I didn't realize what I should prioritize or I didn't realize what I would like to uh, prioritize. Cause I'm looking at like I've got, and then of course I have guys like Josh Rojas who have since lost their jobs. I drafted Elias Diaz as a starting catcher. Fortunately I had Jacob Stallings as the handcuff there. So that worked out. <laughs> but now I'm lacking a third catcher because again, Stallings is my third guy, just in case as a handcuff. So I'm way, kind I'm, of. By the way, I'm up again in our draft, Toby. Yeah, you oh, are, and there's and there's all green lights on the screen. I know. I just noticed that. Like, there's all green between my uh, between gotta, my picks. You gotta make you gotta make that pick then. Yeah, and one of the things like with my strategy too is just like let's say Real Muto misses half the season. I mean that sucks. But if you get like a uh, you know replacement level catcher. Like, let's say I just get, like, I don't know, 15 runs, 15 RBIs, two home runs, and, like, a 230 batting average from my from my backup catcher. You know, if you add half a season of Real Muto to that, that's pretty much equal to, like, the projection for virtually all of those mid-range, catch, mid-range catchers. Yeah, you're right. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's one of the things, too, like, especially in this format. But even in the, even in the, even in the other events, like, I just um, – 
like some people will churn and just, you know, and like burn through catchers and just kind of cycle through them. Um, and that's definitely one possibility, but I just feel like with catchers, there's like very limited likelihood that a guy is going to, um, from like a, a context specific point of view, like make a huge jump in their production. Um, you know, like there just isn't that level of skill on the offensive side of the ball. Like nobody, you know, like there may be one catcher that does it this year, but really threatens like Real Muto and Sanchez and Grandal even, you know, there may be like one guy who has that career season that gets there. But like generally speaking, you're not going to pick up a guy like that from the waiver wire. Whereas I feel like there's always guys who are getting consistent playing time in one of your five outfield positions or your corner infield position where I feel a lot more comfortable kind of mixing and matching throughout the course of a season, even in a league with like a, a shorter bench, like mixing and matching those types of positions versus the catcher position. Because I know that there actually is some guys that there's a, there's more than like a couple guys that are going to come out of the woodwork to be that really good player, at least for periods of, uh, of time in the season. And so I really do like having those solid catchers in there um, to really anchor your team. And if you get two of them, like, a lot of people, I think, take it as, like, you get one good one and you get one worse one. Like, if you get two good ones, that really gives you an advantage over guys. Like, if you look at my catchers, you know, versus the projection of, like, so, you know, so I'm getting, like, close to 140 runs, um, you know, 155 RBI, 50 home runs, and six stolen bases from my catchers with about, like, a 257 batting average, something like that. Like, if you combine that with somebody who chooses two bottom-end catchers, you're looking at the possibility for me to have, you know, like uh, 60 or 70 more runs than them from the catcher position, um, you know, 20 more home runs from the catcher position, uh, potentially like, uh, you know, 70 more RBI from the catcher position. And so that really allows you – in some ways to um, make up ground where you might lose it otherwise, like with my two aces strategy that I often employ. So uh, you sold me, Toby, you sold me, <laughs> you sold me. I am now selecting Will Smith. I hate oh, him. The catcher. Gross. Yes. The catcher. Oh, the, the catcher's still available. Yeah. He's, he's, he's about, yeah, he's, he's fallen compared to his ADP. So I'm going uh, to take him. And the reason I'm going to take him is because I also need, the reason I'm going to take him is because Mike does not like him. <laughs> I'm um, not no, because I'm looking at the players that uh, that are around the turn that are in, in like I'm, I'm in, the, in the five hole. I'm looking at the players that, that wrap around, and they're all fairly set in closers. One of them actually already has three closers. A lot of them have two, and they all have at least one uh, good one. So I'm willing to bet that. And we're sort of at the Archie Bradley pick was sort of at the end of a tier of your closers that you're really confident with. There's a bunch of them that are okay after that, but I think um, that tier two you're talking about, Toby, is gone now. Mm. Um, I don't know if you agree with me or not. So, anyways, um, I'm I'm drafting Will Smith. Yeah, yeah, and I and I delved into Will Smith on the catcher preview, and actually there was some, you know, the thing about him is is the batting average was low, but he doesn't necessarily have the profile of a low batting average guy because the contact skills are super high, the plate discipline is really good. He hits the ball really hard, and he hits the ball um, in the uh, in the air a ton. And so, what I think is probably happening is uh, he's a pop up king. You know, like he's hitting a ton of pop ups. 
And I think that may like batted ball quality is oftentimes the last thing that we see because, because there's so much variance, you know, like there's not a ton of variance in, or like comparatively, there's not a ton of variance in, in contact rates, right? Because those are on a per pitch basis, but like, right. You only actually hit the ball probably like once out of every, I don't know, like, or like two out of every five times you get up to bat um, and you see a ton more pitches. And so a lot of times, like there's a lot more variance in that. And so it could have just been like a, a poor spell that he had, you know, whatever it was. So um, I like the profile, like the underlying skills a lot um, with Will Smith, but we just haven't seen, we saw it for a period of time, just not towards the end. I mean, he hit more home runs. What are you, what are you, you or Bubba was, was really touting him. I think I, I listened to your catcher preview. Um, yeah, we, we both, uh, we both liked him. Um, he, he, he actually set the, the major league record, I think for most home runs in their first 20 games, something like yeah. that. He beat, he beat Reese Hoskins. I didn't, I didn't know that. I was, I'm just like, I just went to his fan graph page and I was, I was afraid that his strikeout rate was just off, like off the charts because when I was looking at prospects before the beginning of last year, I had Will Smith ranked pretty low among catching prospects. Um, and uh, his strikeout rate wasn't that bad actually as, as bad as I thought, I thought it was over 30%. He's got some years, but those are just small sample sizes. And um, I think his home runs have actually ticked up. And then with the, with the ball, if it's the ball stays it as it is, um, I don't know. You could he's in, you draft him for the power, essentially. Um, the the only thing I'm sort of concerned about, and, and it's a double edged sword, is that uh, you have Kyber Kyber Reese coming up to the minor leagues, who was a um, higher ranked prospect throughout the last couple of years. So, is there any risk there? And maybe a little bit, but I, I like in I've talked about this handcuffing your catcher. I I place value on catchers that are easy to handcuff in terms of getting the backup cheaper if i'm gonna have like i guess my two starters and ruiz is super cheap to get in these drafts he's not even he hasn't there's been drafts he hasn't even been drafted well it's probably going to be austin barnes right his, his are you guy. sure he's on the on the dodgers still uh i think so he's uh i mean he's like he he's only had a couple a few years i'm pretty sure uh looking him up right now I got. I actually happen to have roster resource up. I'm loading. Yeah, as Austin Barnes. <laughs> you Barnes. win. I couldn't get there fast enough. Is he uh, still? Is yeah, he, he's still there. Okay, the, Marshall Russell Martin's gone though, right? Uh, Martin's gone. Yeah, he's with the Blue Jays, I believe. He no, was last. Yeah, he was. Oh, he was. He, he was. Traded. He was with the Jays before the the Dodgers. He got traded back. I want to say. No way! I'm I'm from Toronto. I would. They, the Jays have Jays Jays have Reese McGuire and Danny Jansen. I don't think. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Well, I, I think he's. I think he must be a free agent. I think he just must be. He must be a Lucroy. I do like that roster resource now has Gavin Lux, uh, starting at second base. I like how they made that happen. <laughs> that they are they are being optimistic. Oh, anyways, we spent a long uh, we spent a lot of time on uh, analyzing this draft. Any final thoughts? Um, Looking at your team, Toby, I like that you've solidified your two catchers. I'm assuming you're going to be getting another closer very soon. Uh, that's, that's, you, don't have to, you don't have to answer me yes or no, but I'm assuming your next target is a closer. Um, uh, but I think you have a nice mix of speed and, and, and average. You might be looking, I think, yeah, like you said, I, I forgot that you said this, but you said you're, you're probably going to be looking for power and saves. That's what I think you're going to be looking for, but I think you have a good start to your team. Um, any thoughts on uh, mine? 
Um, it sucks. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I have no idea. I haven't even looked. I, I honestly didn't. Re- I didn't recap it. Go ahead. I was expecting you to criticize me, Mike. That's like I, I sent you a snapshot of our, the draft. I got it. Yeah, I'll, I'll look it up and give my thoughts on both hey, after. Beat me up. Beat, beat me up. Don't. Yeah. No, well, don't go easy on me. Your, your batting average should be pretty good. I mean, Yelich. Yelich is actually a guy that when the season rolls around, if if he is um, if he's healthy and everything looks good, he might actually be my number one hitter uh just because like you mentioned before i think his batting average he has the highest upside for batting average um and arguably the highest floor stolen base basically yeah m4 yeah Yeah, i mean i I just think that he's the most complete player like acuna i think um the batting average is the one thing that's a little bit suspect and but like the whole package i mean the, the ceiling for him like he hits 300 a year with you know 45 bombs and 40 stolen bases like you know that's definite possibility, right? Like it's that's pretty hot, high, high in the percentile. But I really just love Yelich. Like if you think about what he was doing last year, you combine that with what he did towards the end of the previous year, like it's legit. Um, I'm not as big a fan of Flaherty. Um, it's not that I don't think that he's good. It's just that there's guys that I like more than I like him. Like I would probably in our draft have taken um, Bieber and Snell over him. My concern yep. with Flaherty is the super low BABIP, which is something he's been able to have throughout his career um, so far in like 260 or, or close to 300 innings, something like that. So it may stay, but it's actually the 20th lowest um, BABIP by a starting pitcher in um, the last five years, I think of any pitcher season in the last five years, super low home run to fly ball rate. Um, and he's really only got that slider. That's a dominant pitch. He started throwing the sinker more in the second half, which really helped him out because they, I think the ground ball rate went up as a result. And so it's not that I don't think he's good. I think he's solid. I just, I just feel like there's some recency bias in there where he went on this run where he just had an insanely low home run for fly ball rate and insanely low BABIP. And so I think he's like, yeah, he's like a, I believe his projection, like a three, six ERA maybe. Um, I'm just not necessarily sure that he's as dominant as some of the other guys. Um, and his control is the one issue that worries me a little bit is, you know, his ability to throw strikes on a consistent basis. Um, and so, you know, that's the reason why I would have like somebody like a Bieber in front of him. Um, Snell from just a skills perspective is somebody, probably somebody that I'd have ahead of him. But, you know, again, like you you can't really go wrong. Like that's what Mike can, Mike can speak for me and say, this isn't well in my instance, it's not recency bias because I was all over him last year too. Mike, right? Remember yeah. that? Well, Flaherty, yeah, yeah. he's, your, he's yeah. a guy of yours. So I, I think it's just like you are. For, like he I hear what you're saying though. Half, though. He had that yeah. first half, and then the second half almost like it's it gave you um totally sort of, redeemed himself. He redeemed himself for sure, but he gave you that um almost like confirmation bias, like oh I was right when really you were kind of right. I was half right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and and the thing that I would say is like is the thing that I've tried to, the way that I've tried to approach drafts this year is in previous years, I would go into a draft and I'd be like, you want to know something like, these are my guys. These are the guys that I want. I want Yasiel Puig last year and I'm going to get him as much as I can. And what I realized is like, none of us are as good as we think we are at this whole projection thing. And like Ron Chandler has this great um, article in the baseball forecaster, which I'd recommend folks go out and get, but like, um, you know, and I won't give too much away on it, but like, it's just about how bad we are at projecting players. And so I can say this right now, but I don't know, like none of us really knows how people are going to perform. There's so much random variance 
and situational things that happen that impact the way that players perform, that what we're doing is trying to provide a best guess. And Flaherty is in that, in that realm of all of those pitchers according to the projections. And so, again, like what I, I, I've gotten to the point where I like don't even criticize people. Like there'll be people who just like, you know, take somebody like super early and it's like, you want to know something? Like I might think that that's not a good pick, but to be honest with you, like I've been wrong a ton of times. So that's just like a general approach that I've had. And I've tried to make myself a better drafter in that way and not being so committed to certain players, but being more committed to certain profiles or certain uh, type of type of way of constructing my team, as opposed to being super invested in any particular player. There are guys later on in drafts where I feel like, man, this guy's going super late. I think he can make that next step. Here's why. But like a lot of it is just like, we don't know. So anyways, that's a, that's a long uh, diatribe there, but uh, Castillo like is fine. I'm, I'm not as big a fan of Castillo just because I think the control is another um, issue, but like the skills are elite, elite, elite. Brian is a solid contributor. Um, Bo Bichette, you know, there's obviously some risk. He's a new guy, but he should be a, you know, a solid contributor across the board. Muncie, I think is underrated for like what he does and the position flexibility is great. I loved Guriel. I was thinking about Guriel instead of Puig, but I just couldn't because of the lack of speed. Um, I love Sano. I love Sano this year. When you look at what he did last year, his contact rate improved as the season progressed. He looked better physically. Um, he was healthy for the second half of the season. Um, he goes into the season and you kind of know that he seems like he's kind of bought into the program that they have there, at least right now, who knows that could change dramatically, but his power is off the charts. I mean, he hit so many home runs last year in less than 400 plate appearances. Like, I think he hit like what, like 30 something in 390 plate appearances. And then Garber, the king of that. Yeah. Like he just, he crushes and he's going to be going up against a crappy division of pitching. Like there's no good pitching staffs in that division. Like, I mean, Cleveland has Clevenger, Clevenger and B. Okay. So the Cleveland's got a good pitching staff. I take that back, but everybody else, even like the white Sox, they don't have a good one. Like they have you should see the, the you, I don't know if you remember the, you should see the home run that Sano hit off of Bieber last year. Oh, he hit a fucking a laser. Yeah. 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 Uh, Tuck, Tucker needs playing time. It's just hard to see, but I have him in a few drafts. And I think the thing about him is like, you take that profile. If he's on the strong side of a platoon, then you stick him in when he's going to play based on the pitchers that are in. And then you actually get some additional value because you're missing out on those lefty on lefty at bats. And you're also able to, you know, replace him with somebody else in the outfield who, who can contribute theoretically. Lazardo dropped a lot, you know, only question is innings pitch there. And then Will Smith, I think he's a solid catcher um, going, especially in this format. So, I mean, over, overall, I think the team is solid. If I were going to, if I were going to analyze it, I say you're probably short on speed um, at this point in time. That's um, why I took my shot at Tucker because yeah, I'd realized that. Yeah. But, um, but overall, you know, like it's, uh, uh, it looks pretty solid to me. It's not the team that I would necessarily draft, but that's mostly because of some of the players there are just guys that I have biases against them trying to slowly work out the biases that I have against certain players, because I think it doesn't really do us well, like in, in drafts to, to go in, like thinking a player's not good and, and not necessarily viewing him for what he does. And Dan, you know what? Um, it's, it's wrapping around here, coming back to me like soon. And it, I, I passed on a closer and I'm, I'm obviously thinking about drafting a closer here. And I said, look at these teams. They're probably, they're pretty loaded. Damn guy with three closers drafted another yeah. closer. Yeah. 
this team, I, I don't know I, what he's doing. I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm in no position to criticize anyone else, but I just, it's just interesting to see what this person's doing. He, his last four picks have been Doolittle, Alex Colomy, Craig Kimbrell, Kenley Jansen. And then he's got four starting pitchers already. Sonny Gray, Zach Granke, Blake Snell, Garrett Cole, good pitchers. But then his hitters are like, this, this is, this is like the four closers in, in the, in the, you know, he has four closers and he has, these are his four hitters. VR, LeMahieu, Tim Anderson, and Malik Smith. So that is a very, I guess you call it top-heavy team in terms of relief pitchers and speed, I would, th- I would say. <laughs> the two, well, yeah. see, what he just did was make it very easy to compete for second in those categories. It, in, this, in, this, in this specific league, of course. I don't know about that. It's because there's so many teams, just 15. Well, 15. We, also I know, but... with, we also went with Doolittle, and I'm not convinced that – no, I mean, and he makes it as the guy. Like Doolittle wouldn't have been wouldn't have been the kid. He wouldn't have been the uh, the closer I take right now. He, he wouldn't have even been, my, even been my first choice. So I'm not even really upset that Doolittle was taken. But just weird. I'm looking at that. I was looking at that team when you mentioned that. I was like, really? Because I, I had that screenshot you sent me. Yeah, I, I messaged Toby. I think earlier today or yesterday, and um, I just said, yeah, like this team's interesting. And it just got even more interesting. I'm gonna. I'm, I really am curious how that one fills out. Yeah, me too. But real quick, as you guys mentioned, your uh, I'm not gonna break down your teams. The one thing I want to mention is the kudos to both of you for both of you taking a multi a multi position eligible person. That is like that is not talked about enough, and that is vastly underrated. That needs that is a huge value. Like someone like Muncie and McNeil gain that much more value in these formats because when injuries happen later in the draft when you start trying to figure out what you need, you can look back and see that you can plug this player in different spots. And that really gives you a lot of you know flexibility in the draft. And it's just such an underrated aspect or it's maybe it's so well known or such a thing that people just don't talk about it enough, but it's super unspoken as far as like a thing to target in drafts. And both of you got somebody that is like two or three positions. I think McNeil has what second, third and outfield and once yeah. he first and second. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that I think it is super helpful to have at least that one guy, especially I would say like similar to what Zach did in the infield, like a guy who can swap places in the infield because I think infield like second, uh, uh, second base, first base, and even third base a little bit to me are are the shallower positions like outside of catcher of course, and so being able to kind of mix and match in that space I think is super helpful. Yeah, it becomes helpful in season. One guy that I that I remember from last year um, that was a pickup in some of the fab leagues in these 15-team team, team leagues was Lourdes Goriel because he had second base and outfield eligibility. And I just remember, I just remember, I can't remember too much about it, but I just, I just remember thinking, thank God that I have this guy because I would have no one. And I think it's David Fletcher. You're gonna have to look it up now, but I grabbed him late in this one draft because like he plays like four positions and it was like oh my god such a good value <laughs> yeah. empty empty batting average but still batting average something that you can use but volume in these leagues un- volume un- in these leagues but yeah mike you always you've been you've been preaching that the whole um the whole offseason is a position flexibility and i think Dude, it's an excellent point i i just want to make sure because like people tend to overlook it like it's it adds value to like it made it actually i opened my eyes to so like why is lemayhu and why is mcneil going as as high as they are like why are these guys going so like high and in at least what i thought was high at the time and i've realized not only are they good for batting average which is very difficult to fill late but then they offer the multi-positional eligibility which just adds so much value to your team and it just gives you that 
extra little um, upper hand entering those later rounds. And then, like I said, David Fletcher, he hurts you because at least me, because my team, I need power and I'm stuck utilizing him probably as a starter, but because because just, just the way the draft fell to me, but hoping I don't have to, but it's just hard to sit him because you know he's getting the playing time, whereas because of what I have on my bench, maybe not, but we'll see what happens with that. I mean, I'm, I have yet to be happy. For, like, are you ever really truly happy with the team or is there always a weakness? What do you guys think? I'm serious. Uh, yeah, like, no, no, no. I totally agree. I, I, I was joking around with my buddy, uh, Brian the other day, like we, uh, I can't remember what the quote was, but uh, that he had said something. Cause I was, uh, I think it was like, I, I like to post like the team that nobody will love because like my roster construction can, can be a little weird. So when I show people like, Bueller, Marte, Giolito, and Real Muto as my first pick. Like people generally are like, "What? Like what the heck? What the heck is that thing you're showing me?" And so <laughs> I think I, I think the quote I had was like, um, "If you like your team, you're not trying hard enough," or something like that. It's but true, I actually, man. I actually think there's you gotta always be like. Um, it sounds so ridiculous, but like you can't really like let your guard down on any of the categories, really. Because, like, the moment you, you're not intentional about the way that you make every single pick, like, you got to be thinking a couple rounds ahead about, like, who's, who you expect may be on the board, who are the type of profiles that you're going to want. Because, like, if you sleep on that at all, like, you're going to end up being in a position where you made a mistake two rounds earlier that you can't undo, and it's put you in a hole in one category or the other. So I would, I would actually agree with that. Like, you just – you always got to be intentional. You always got to be – um, kind of uh, thinking about, you know, uh, one or two steps ahead. And I did notice, okay, I, I don't want to harp on this because we've been running, we're running a little long, but I, I know you're big on your, um, you call it, what do you call it, your pocket aces. Mm-hmm. That you typically run, you know, you grab two real early. But are there guys that you're not necessarily taking in, in the ace tier, like those top 20-ish guys? Like you mentioned Flaherty's a guy you just don't, you kind of don't like at his price, but are there guys you're just, just I guess besides Flaherty at this point, just kind of out on like rather guys you just rather not have in that top fifteen and twenty range as part of your uh, pocket aces deal that you yeah coined. I mean, so so much of it depends on the way the draft is going, mm-hmm. but like I don't see my Flaherty is the one that stands out to me just because of where he's going right. Like if he yeah. falls later on in a draft, um, everybody you know, has a price. Yeah, it's, it. absolutely. So like what I could see. Um, so yeah, those are the guys, the aces that I'm not really that into, and I need to do a deeper dive. Like right now, I'm not getting any more Max Scherzer. I have him in one or two leagues, and I just like I want to see him pitch in spring. And I agree, I'm out. I'm out on him too. We'll ease some of the concerns. Castillo, I don't have, and I'm sorry to pick on the two pitchers that you got. But like <laughs> Castillo, I just think I'm lower on him. Chris Paddock is theoretically an ace, um, like where he's going. I think he's like top fifteen or top eight, 18 at least. There's kind of like 18 guys I want, which is um, like DeGrom, Cole, Verlander, Bueller, Snell, Bieber, Flaherty, Strasburg, Clevenger, Scherzer, Corbin, Giolito, um, Sale as a number two only, uh, Morton, and then uh, Nola and Darvish. Um, maybe Kershaw. Probably. No Severino, no Glasnow? No, no. I'm, I've always been down on Severino. <laughs> Um, I, I was into Seve two years ago and then I lived through his second half and I'm just not sure he's, you know, like he's got the velocity and a lot of the projection systems do like him a decent amount. 
Like he's got the um, he's got velocity, but if you actually d- dig into his pitch metrics, like his swinging strike rate for a slider, I think has never been above seventeen percent, which is just league average. Um, his changeup was really good in twenty seventeen, I want to say, but it's been kind of an average pitch ever since. Um, and so until he shows me that he can come back and not give that up, especially with the bouncy ball, right? He's never really pitched with the bouncy ball, just whatever, like 12 innings or something like that towards the end of the season. Um, I really, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not into him um, at all. Like Glass now just, you know, like I know he can be super elite, but um, I just don't know about, uh, I just don't know about the innings. Everyone, everyone complains about that he only has two pitches too, right? That's, I love Glass now. Yeah. I was big on him, well, especially last year, but. We had he's kind of dominant though. Skill like if you yeah. look at his skills, they're pretty good, and his fastball is extremely elite. That's where like Paddock gets me is like I'll probably be wrong on him forever because his changeup is good, his fastball is good. There's nothing that like necessarily separates it, right? Like from a velocity standpoint, it's not elite velocity. Um, it doesn't have an elite swinging strike rate against it. Like up, at least I don't think so. Up in the range, like his overall swinging strike rate is in the like. 10 to 11 percent range which is right around league average his curveball sucks and so like i just don't understand how he does it and it may be command but i don't really have a stat that i trust in command like command plus seems the most um seems like it's got like just based on who's good at it and who's not like that it that it grades out pretty well that um the athletic has but i don't really trust them like and and know how predictive they are and so i try to shy away like when people say he's got really, really good command. Like if you know baseball, like maybe you can say that, but I can't say that as like a fantasy analyst about somebody because like, regardless of how many like uh, zone plots with the, you know, radar on them, like where they're throwing the pitch and stuff like that, I can say this guy's throwing a high fastball and that's making it more effective. Like that makes sense to me, but like command isn't something that I can necessarily quantify. And it feels like that's what Paddock kind of has. And so I just can't necessarily buy into that at this point. My issues with Sevi beyond the advanced stuff is honestly, I think this year in particular, he's coming off pretty much a lost year. I don't think they let him throw a full amount of innings, not to mention they have playoff and World Series aspirations. I could see them shutting him down or limiting him, you know, pretty significantly down the stretch or even or, or to start or both. I think he'll have a solid middle of the year, but I think at the beginning they could ramp him up slowly, ramp him, ramp, slow him down towards the end, same for the playoffs. And that's a big thing for me as far as, like, Seve goes in general. So that's why I, I find myself in this particular format avoiding them. I will take yeah. my chances in my shallower formats because the, the upside's there. And it's like I'm all about taking the elite – I'm all about chasing those innings, like the elite, the potential for elite innings in a shallower format. But here you want a little more safety that early on in the pitching. As, as far as I – that's my personal strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, that, that, that makes sense. I want to move on here to, um, I guess, talk about general uh, tips or strategy in the draft champions leagues, uh, Toby, that you that you um, sort of abide by. And uh, I, I, I had a bunch of questions um, that were that related to that, but I think we've touched on a lot of it so far. So I'll sort of paraphrase, but uh, I've heard you talk about um, several things, just um, high level tips that or um, I guess. Um, things you live by when doing these drafts. So just um, I'll give you the floor. And I, 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 I found it interesting listening to you on your podcast. So I'd like to, I'd like to steal some of those uh, ideas of yours. Uh, so people can hear, 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 <laughs> For hear sure. them here. 
just don't implement them in the, in this draft that we're going up against each other. You have my word. Okay. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> and you have my word. Too late. It's too late already. Anyway. Um, so, uh, so the first one is pocket aces. You guys mentioned it. Like I really believe in pocket aces. And what I mean by that is not necessarily like uh, starting pitcher, starting pitcher to start. Although I, I will oftentimes do that, but getting two of the first 18 starting pitchers. So, you know, that inherently means that, you know, there isn't like, uh, you know, I got to dive in much deeper into the player pool and like into specific players, like time's running out to do that. But like, you know, it's not that there's like this huge drop off after the 18, but I just feel like those are to me, like the clear top guys, just in terms of like, you know, skills and performance and volume and things of that nature. But I think the pocket aces really gives you uh, an advantage similar to catcher. Like there are only certain number of pitchers that on a very consistent, on a, consistent basis compared to other pitchers can pitch really well. And especially in an overall competition, you don't just need guys who pitch well, right? You don't just need a guy who gets a three, five with a strikeout per inning and a, and a one, two whip, right? Like that's solid. But what you really need is you need an, you need a guy who dominates like a guy who puts up a line like Cole did, like Verlander did um, and who does it with volume. And so if you look at like, at least the main event, eight of the top 10 teams had one of uh, Jacob DeGrom, Garrett Cole, or Justin Verlander, which means they picked that guy in the first round, right? Um, you know, there was other guys who showed up a bunch of different times, like Acuna was there, JT Realmuto was actually there, but that was one of the things that I really noticed. And then the other two teams got Strasburg late. Um, and Strasburg had just a ton of volume and really good ratios. And then I think, I think either one or both of those teams paired him with, with, um, with Bieber, getting Bieber later on. And so they essentially got con massive contributions from starting pitcher because, you know, everything else is going to kind of like uh, all the pitcher, all the players are just going to kind of uh, go towards the, the mean, if you will, like regress, like that bunch of pitchers towards the back. Like you may get some that are like outside, like, like that, that perform better. Like, you know, when you get lucky on a guy like a Matthew Boyd or something like that, that's not a good example, but he's the one that like pops up to, in my mind. But like, there's a lot of glob as Paul and, and Justin say on the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. And, and so in that glob, it's very unlikely that you are going to, that uh, all those picks are going to work. And it's very unlikely that if you get one that does really well, well that you're not going to get one that does poorly. Like there's just a whole wide range of outcomes and so getting the pocket aces gives you uh, a really good floor for your pitching and it also allows you to attack depth and hitting because once you have those two aces you feel pretty good going after kind of the the um getting your sp3 not out of like a the upper echelon of, of sp3s but maybe like taking like a little bit more risk with your starting pitchers so i'll oftentimes get two out of three or two to start uh of, of the aces and then i'll go like seven or eight hitters in a row something like that and I really feel like you can compensate for the lack of a first round guy with the amount of depth that you're able to get because what a lot of guys will do is they'll get like you know they'll do the one ace or they'll do no aces but then they'll draft like three or four pitchers from the from the quote-unquote glob and that's like while they're doing that that's two additional hitting spots that I'm filling in while they're trying to catch up to me um, in pitching and so I just feel really good about that start. I'm not very good at keeping things short, if you guys haven't noticed. Um, neither am I. So. Neither am I. This is why we have our podcast is already an hour and a half. Right? Yeah. That's great. It's more content for your listeners. Um, exactly. well, you, you can break it up into two. <laughs> um, well, I saw that you did two hours on catchers. <laughs> so, 
That was just the top 10 catchers. So, um, <laughs> so building, uh, we also did like news and notes and stuff like that, but uh, building infield to outfield is my other thing is I feel like the scarcest positions are second base, uh, first base, third base, so-so. Shortstop's very deep, so I don't include that in the infield. But what I like to do is start off by targeting infielders. If there's significant values, like Eloy Jimenez is a good example, um, uh, then I'll, I'll kind of go away from that. But I'm really trying to fill those positions with high-quality guys um, because I think outfield is very deep, and there's also a lot of different profiles in outfield. So you can, you know, you can get your like Fran Mil Reyes and your um, guys kind of in the, in the like who will get you power like throughout the draft. There are guys who can get you speed. There's guys who can get you batting average uh, throughout the draft. But in the infield, I think it's a lot less so. So I like to focus on infield, attack outfield values, but build that infield first and then fill in what I need with outfield using the kind of diversity of, of profiles that exist there to fill in whatever it is that I need on my specific team. Uh, so that's one thing, diversifying stolen bases. Like even if you get a guy like Trey Turner early on, really pounding um, stolen bases throughout the draft because what you don't want to do is put all your eggs in one basket. Like I got Starling Marte. I mean, he's like projected for like 26 stolen bases, but that doesn't mean that I can let up on stolen bases. Like I'm already, I'm still like where I am right now, uncomfortable with the amount of stolen bases that I have that I need more. And so um, just diversifying your stolen bases so that you have like four or five guys who are getting you double digit stolen bases and maybe a couple that are getting you 20 or more stolen bases, just so you're not overly relying on one guy because the worst thing in the world to do is to try to chase stolen bases because it will destroy every single other category uh, that you're working on. Uh, the other one is waiting on closers. So like you guys mentioned, there are choices early on in the draft about how you construct your team. One choice that I always make is to wait on closers and to attack positions like catcher or attack offensive depth as a result. You're going to miss on a ton of guys throughout a draft. Just go back and look at last year's draft and you're like, holy crap, what the hell was I thinking with half of these picks, right? That's inevitably going to happen. And so um, what I want to do is have depth as much as possible in quality offensive guys. And with closers, closer is like the one position where obviously guys can get dropped from the lineup, but like normally your top end guys don't but where closers like it's all at the whim of the manager like they can change you know because you blow three saves in a row uh it's also incredible there's incredible variance within the position like maybe there's a handful of guys that over the last four years have had the role every single year there's an incredible amount of variance both in performance and who has access to saves um you know like even archie bradley is an example right is he actually going to get the saves in arizona we don't necessarily know that like we know that about very few number of people. So I really like to wait. And then I like to attack a couple guys who are in the, the further back tier. And then in a regular draft, not in a DC, what I would do is then use my like 200 to 300 picks to speculate on guys who are in a committee and maybe get both of those guys and see if one of them after a couple weeks um, breaks out. And that also gives me open spots to churn once it's pretty clear who might you know take the lead in, in that role. So I like to wait on closures because there's really high – you know, skilled guys that, that are there every year and guys that come out of nowhere. And you just need to be watching those skills and monitoring them and picking them up early so you don't pay an exorbitant cost. I, um, uh, that's, that's not necessarily true for DCs, but just in general. And then I think uh, this is kind of going to be kind of controversial, but I wrote it down as who you pick isn't as important as the foundation you build early on. Like generally speaking, all of those picks are good, right? 
Like there might be a guy like I could argue with Jonathan VR and say, yeah, he had a great season last season, but like I don't want you to even mention him. Profile. Yeah. So like <laughs> I might I might disagree with you there, but generally speaking, what I think is most important is the foundation. Like the difference between Starling Marte and Anthony Rendon is what? Like, you know, yeah, maybe like 10, you know, 20 runs, 20 RBI or something like that. But I can make that up towards the end. You know, Rendon doesn't have stolen bases, and I know that Marte does. And he doesn't have stolen bases with batting average, and he doesn't have stolen bases with some power. Right? And so, like, you know, but if you do get Rendon, then you got to be thinking constantly about, like, speed, 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 speed throughout. And so really thinking about the team construction and what, what flexibility it gives you down the road. I think about it as, like, opportunity cost. Like, who are the players that I'm missing out on down the road um, because I – you know, um, because I waited on stolen bases or because I waited on batting average or, you know, for whatever reason is like, I'd much rather uh, have that be around home runs and be chasing home runs than I would be chasing stolen bases or chasing batting average, because generally speaking, those will whittle away every single other category um, at the same time. So those are kind of like five things that I'd say not very quickly, but uh, those are kind of like the five <laughs> things that I think are important. The last item was sort of what I was getting at when I introduced you and I said, you, you don't really look at who versus who and more what in relation to when, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I think you did a great job of articulating that. And then Mike was talking about that as well, about how he prioritizes roster construction. I would, I would agree wholeheartedly with both of you guys on that. Um, I, 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 we had a bunch of other questions. I, th I feel like we've hit them throughout the, throughout this podcast already with respect to strategy. Um, I guess you told you told us before we got on that we got on that you didn't have any guys, but um, are there guys? I'm not asking for to spill the beans, but are there guys you just keep ending up with? Um, I guess like out of outside of the first couple of rounds. Yeah, 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 no, and I, and I don't mind sharing. Right, I'm a fantasy analyst, so like this is what I do. I try to be honest with people about like my assessment of players, so I don't mind sharing it, and I share every single draft board. And so like I, I i'm sure like you know sometimes people go back and are like okay which who's he probably gonna pick like in this <laughs> but um so it really depends on the price like i mentioned i'm trying to get rid of this like focus on like a specific player but um guys who jump out at me so miguel sano we talked about him a little bit he was going around pick 130 which i thought was tremendous value i really really like that i could see him pushing up already and i think he's gonna push up even further where he's going like Josh Donaldson's at pick 105 right now, I think, and Snow's at pick like 130. Did that happen to me in this draft, or did I get Snow? I know I got Snow, but sorry to interrupt. But what happened in the draft before this one was I'm always targeting Snow. He's just one of those guys that you're saying that you're trying not to do. I targeted him, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to reach for him at pick. I think it was um, between 100 and 110, just to make sure I got him. I got sniped right before it. Uh, somebody took. Sano, even before Donaldson got off the board. So I ended up taking Donaldson right after Sano. So anyways, go on. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think when the drafts come around, Donaldson will be probably around pick 80. And I think Sano will be around pick 100 is probably where they'll end up settling, like somewhere in that area. I just think that like, those are two guys that are at the market. I think early on was pretty clearly undervaluing the skill set and the projection, you know, as more and more people who rely on projections get into these draft rooms like they're going to see that there was tremendous value for both of those players there so i really like Sano though i think this is going to be his breakout year and so he's a guy that i'm targeting just good i have him pretty much everywhere i could so far well, you're gonna it's gonna be he's gonna be this year's jack flaherty for you um, <laughs> terrible first half 
<laughs> terrible first half. Yeah, let's hope, let's hope mm. not. Um, uh, but Justin Upton's another guy that I'm targeting in a lot of drafts. He's going around pick 240. And he was injured throughout last year. He's been incredibly consistent year to year prior to that. He's still just 32. And check this out. He's going to be batting behind Mike Trout and his 420 OBP. He's going to be batting behind Anthony Rendon and his you know 375, 380 OBP. And he's going to be batting potentially behind Shohei Otani when he's in the lineup and his like 350 to 370 OBP. So I think he's going to get a ton of RBI. And I think he's going to play every day. He's a key part of that lineup. He's a, he's a streaky hitter, but he's going to hit you 250. I think he'll hit. Like he was injured last year, and in 290 plate appearances, he hit like his pace was something like uh, I think 75, 75, 28, uh, 93 with like, with like three stolen bases and a 240 average. So even if he did that, which he was doing with two injuries, not only the toe that he missed half the season with, but I think there was also another uh, foot or knee injury that he was dealing with. I I really like that value right there. Uh, Jacoby Jones is a guy that I also really like, a leadoff hitter for the Tigers. The average is a little suspect, which is one of the reasons why I'm down on him, but he showed some incredible gains last year in his plate discipline, his hard hit rate, his barrel rate, um, his contact rate. Everything was surging before he got hurt. And I think he's a real threat to go 2010, um, 20 home runs and 10 stolen bases. He was actually on pace for, I think, 23 home runs and 12 stolen bases um, when he got injured. So that's a guy that I really like. Uh, you guys know that I like Austin Both a lot. Um, he's battling it out with Joe Ross, who's not very good and has really terrible control um, for that fifth spot in the Nationals rotation. He's also out of options. So if, if he's not in the rotation, he's either in the bullpen or going to get traded. So I do think yeah, and he's also got no, there's also no one in the minors in that system too to sort yeah. of t- come up. Totally. And he's, um, he's got three pitches that have a swinging strike rate over 15%. Um, and one of them that has a, his fastball has been solid. And one of them, I think his curve maybe um, is over 20%. So he's been really good. JT Realmuto, you guys know, I love him. I've set the MIM pick for him um, in uh, NFBC drafts on a couple occasions, I think. Uh, already I, I just love Real Muto whether it's in the DC format or otherwise Sal Perez is the best he's an $11 value by my calculation based on where he's going and his um, uh, his projected uh, he's like projected as a night as a $20 player um, and he is going at, at about a $9 pick uh, Jose Abreu is another guy who I think the market is undervaluing he had an incredible season last year he's been incredible in every single year in every category but stolen bases at a position with some scarcity. I mean, not like true scarcity, but like, you know, where there's not that many good players, especially batting average guys. And so uh, I think he's going lower. Like, I think he's, he's more like a 40 range guy in real life, but he's going uh, in picked around pick 70. Ozzy Alves is a guy that I loved heading in because it looked like from like the two early mock drafts that he was going to go late, but he's pushing way up. But I love starting a draft, like starting pitcher, starting pitcher, like if I were to start a draft with uh, Garrett Cole, Blake Snell, and Ozzy Albies, I'd be totally happy with that start. The batting average is solid. A hard hit rate is, uh, or not hard hit rate, he hits 25 home runs, steals 15 bases. At the top of that lineup, he's going to score a ton of runs, especially if they re-sign Donaldson. Scores a ton of runs, gets a decent amount of RBIs because he's behind um, Acuna, and all the skills are improving as well. Tommy Pham is a guy at, at going around pick 75 that I really like as a 2020 guy. Like he's pretty much average 2020 and about 600 plate appearances over the last three years, but everybody thinks he's always injured and thinks that he's like, he's falling apart, which he could be, but 
Um, and then Chris Davis is another guy I've been targeting, um, although he's pushing up really quick too. I got him at pick like 190 in one particular draft. And like his projection is 240, 39 home runs, 170 RBIs and 90 runs. He was clearly injured last year. He's another guy who's like 32. So he really shouldn't be at the point where he's absolutely falling apart. Um, and so I really like him in a really deep and really good Oakland A's lineup. So those are some of the guys that like generally speaking I'm targeting, but I'm trying to base it more on value um, than on skill. There's a bunch of guys after ADP of 400 that I'm into as well. Who, uh, any, can you name one or two of them? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I won't spend as much time on these guys. Um, just one or two, just yeah, yeah. our, our, our hibernators. Me and Mike have come up with a term. <laughs> Not me. I mean, I like the, I love the term, but that's all you, man. I'm not going to take credit for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Famous last words, one or two. Uh, Daniel Norris is a guy I like. He's got a dominant changeup. He's going real late in drafts, like after pick 600. Yeah. Spencer Tur- Turnbull was uh, has a really good fastball cutout. The sinker towards the end of the year looked. Uh, the skills looked really good towards the end of the season, going after pick 400. Drew Smiley, his velocity increased, and he had some, a pitch mix, pitch mix change towards the end of the year that made him look pretty solid. Especially if he gets out of Philly into a more hitter friendly park, I think he can be really good. I already mentioned Jacoby Jones. One guy that I'm into is Roman Quinn. Um, he is a backup in Philly, but he's going after pick 600. He's very fast. He doesn't have the same limitations on power as like a Malik Smith, who I'm definitely staying away from. Um, he's got a little bit more power than that. And then the Adam Housley is the starting center fielder for um, the Phillies. And I just think that that may not hold. And so Quinn may get an opportunity there. So those are some of the guys that are going much later in drafts that I like. Yeah, Quinn's similar to Miles Straw, in my opinion. That um, I, I'd rather speculate, like uh, even if I even if I'm if I'm stuck and I have to fill out a roster spot with somebody who's not a starter, I'd rather get, I'd rather put somebody in like Quinn or Straw that can get me that scarce category of stolen bases, rather than somebody that's going to come in like uh, I don't know, Mike it's, mentioned Mike it's Mike Adams. Yeah, it's, it's going to get you one home run and like two RBIs in a week. I'd rather get just that one stolen base, even if he's in a pinch run. <laughs> Um, yeah, those are those are um, those are good. It's funny you mentioned Daniel Norris because I, I was looking today. There's been 45 DCs done so far, and I was looking at um, players just um, players that, uh, how many how many times they've been selected. So some of the the people, players on the outskirts, Daniel Norris hasn't even been selected in all. But he's been he's gone undrafted uh, in at least one draft champion. Yeah, that it's that's remarkable to me because his ADP is like after pick 600, I think 612. 612, which I think is, I mean, look, like his he, max pick is 520, the, the which highest, is probably, which is, which is probably me. Um, <laughs> he, he's, um, he is, um, uh, yeah, he's super interesting because everybody's really focused on the fact that he only threw three innings in like each of his last nine starts. But if you look at him, he only threw 40 innings in 2018 and he threw 140 last year. So it was really a matter of limiting his innings pitched and the increase that he was going to have. And they had a really good thing going where he would pitch the first few innings. Or no, uh, yeah, he would pitch the first three innings, and then Drew Van Hagen would take over after that. They actually were made for a pretty decent combo. But his, his, his uh, changeup is absolutely dominant. He's got a slider that in the past has been decent but hasn't been great. Um, his velocity started to increase towards the end of the season. He's always been injured, but the the the, um, the Tigers are low key decent at de- in terms of their major league staff at some of the changes that their pitchers have made. And so I like him. I like Turnbull as well. Um, you know, uh, I just think that you know I don't think Norris is going to be a guy who throws like 
seven or eight innings that gives you volume. But I can see him going, you know, five to six and having like a low fours, high threes ERA with at least with a strikeout per inning and a, you know, one, two whip, something like that, which at that point in the draft would be, would be a super bonus. I mean, the challenge is, you know, he's not going to get a ton of wins in that lineup, but um, I do think that, that he's a, he's a, he's definitely a value where he's going right now. I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you on the Norris thing, just because I'm avoiding those guys because you got Boyd there and then you're assuming you're going to get Michael Fulmer back at some point, maybe in the middle of the season. And then you have some really good guys coming up. You got Mize, you got Manning, you got Scooble. Uh, these aren't all blocks. And then you also have um, Alex Fajardo and you also have Joey West coming up. So you have a lot of people that are going to be, that can be, that could be major league ready starting maybe even as early as April. So I think the leash on guys like Norris and Turnbull, so more so Norris are going to be really short. So um, yeah, I get it at that, at that price there. It's a good price. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I just don't have a whole lot of faith in the, in the leash that the Tigers are going to give their existing staff other than Boyd. Yeah. If Boyd's traded, that's a, obviously a huge uh, boon for for everyone. Hey guys, there's a DC with nine to fifteen filled right now. Just just throwing that out there. <laughs> and there are three of us right now that can make that can make it twelve and fifteen. Uh, only <laughs> I, I only do one at a time this year. I'm in four right now, so at least let the one finish that we're in, Mike. Together, okay, fair enough. I have, I have one one last thing I wanted to look at with uh, and ask both Mike and, and Toby this. I I have I've selected four players and 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 what I what I looked at is um, players that were inside the top fifty on the player rater and I just used Yahoo um, with the five by five last year and they're going outside the top one hundred and one of them is close. Um, he was rated fifty two last year, so he wasn't quite inside the top fifty, but. I call this the Rodney Dangerfield segment. I get, I get no respect. So these players aren't getting respect. So what I mean is if they're top 50 players last year and, and we're somewhat confident that there's some, somewhat of a repeatability on that, why are they going so much later this year? Is it because of scarcity of position or category? I just want to get your thoughts on these players. And um, the players are – I'll just list them and we can talk. And I'm going to give the floor to, um, to Toby and – and then Mike um, you, to discuss. Uh, I'll give you the players, and I'll give you their their rank last year versus their ADP this year. One is uh, Trey Mancini, um, forty one, ranked forty one player last year, and he's going at an ADP of one hundred eight. So you know, maybe we'll just go. The, we'll just talk at the top one at a time. Did you say forty one? Yes. <laughs> that's the biggest takeaway I took of that. By the way. Um, uh, yeah, that's right a pretty in. big. That's a pretty big takeaway. Um, in all seriousness, it's almost midnight. Though, it's almost midnight, man. Yes. In all seriousness, though, um, and I work with numbers all day too. So I actually smart. like. That's what makes it better. Yeah. I actually like Mancini. I think he's a solid value. I've had um, no issues. Like I just never needed him or take needed his skill set when he's come up in our drafts. But I think and maybe that's it. And I think that's for, what it's been for me. Is just, I, I like, I'm going SP. I've noticed myself either going SP, RP, or other or speed or whatever something else infield you know he is first base um just i always find myself he's first base and infield so he's he got has, the he's got the dual positions like you like i do he i do like it but i feel like I, i've noticed where I, where he's going is where i'm aiming for something else in drafts but i do as far as like buying into it i'm totally i, I think it's legit you saw the changes i believe if i remember it's been a while since i looked at them but a lot of the stuff i looked at was uh pretty much mirroring the year was it 2018 when he had that year 2017 when he had his good little when he came up and did his thing or had that good year. And then 2018, he fell off. 
he, last year looks like he made some adjustments, had a similar launch angle, if I remember correctly, and a lot of other things that kind of just followed. And the plate discipline looked really good, and everything about it seems legit. And then you have Camden as a home park. Can't really go wrong, man. So I think he's solid, safe, and a little underappreciated because of the fact they placed for the Orioles, probably. And people think people forget that he was actually good two years ago. Right on. Toby? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think uh, maybe I should draft Mancini. I think it's a similar thing where it's just like <laughs> where, where he's going, like around pick 100. Like if I had to choose between Mancini um, and Josh Donaldson, like yeah, exactly. Probably, I'm probably going to go with him. Like I think that actually around pick 100, there, there's just a really nice spot for hitters there where I think there's like a variety of different hitters that contribute a variety of different things. So maybe that, but I mean, if you compare him with the Brayu, I mean, there's not a, a massive difference there. Like last year he cut the strikeout rate, which is somewhat corroborated by an increase in contact rate. The hard hit rate is higher. His issue is always ground balls, but he dropped it by 9% last year. Um, you know, he's always barreled the ball on a pretty consistent basis. So there's nothing to make me believe that, um, any of it isn't necessarily real. I can see some dip in the batting average, um, uh, potentially. Uh, the line drive rate at 22.2% is a career high for him, and there's generally a lot of variance in line drive rate. I don't focus on it, but like if that might account for why his BABIP increased a decent amount, um, that could be, uh, there could be something to it. But, you know, to be honest with you, there could even be room for growth in that power potential. He's still higher than league average in terms of his ground ball rate. Uh, his fly ball rate is only 31 or 32%. Um, so I, I, I actually really like the profile and he's got the dual position eligibility. So like, like Mike, I, I don't see an issue necessarily with him. I'm actually really interested to see what his, his rolling uh, average for ground ball percentage is. What of you like Mike? Yeah, yeah. Don't do that. You'll be very disappointed. Um, <laughs> Actually, I was surprised at how many RBIs and runs he got on that team, what's, like what's, on yeah. the Orioles. What's interesting is how rough of a year he had last year in comparison, and he had actually he actually had a higher barrel rate by like one and a half percent. That isn't that's yeah. like that interests me a little bit. Like I'm just, I just pulled up a Statcast page, and then the barrel. I guess because well, I remember the yeah the launch angle it dipped last year and it came back up to just above twenty seventeen when he had that little like pseudo breakout. And that's where, like, if you look at the stats as far as, like, the, you know, just his triple slash was pretty much in line a little better, which could could be explained by the swing – what appears to be a swing change he made. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he so. definitely changed, changed the launch angle um, a good amount, so. And you love seeing growth in plate discipline. More walks, less Ks, the exact exactly what you want to see in a guy. And he is only 27, so it's not like he's too old to make these adjustments. And again, having Camden Yards is a fantastic home park. And that division, the pitching isn't all that great other than the Yankees. Yeah. Oh, the Rays. Yeah, sorry. The Rays are pretty good. Rays are good. Yeah, the, I mean, the Red Sox, depending on how everything Sale. shakes out. I mean, if Sale returns to be the guy that he can be, like Sale and Price is, is decent. I don't yeah. have much faith in Price, to be honest. And then, and that's, and a, they, that's a different story. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. No, like the, you're right, though. I guess, I, and then the, I, I believe every one of them, at least according to, it depends on which park factors you look at. But if you look at just the ones on um, Fantasy Pros, I believe all th all four parks in that division, four or five, I can't do the math. All the parks in that division are like top 15 or top 18 in park factors for home runs overall. I believe so. They're all my my, my overlaying question for all of these four players, the, the trade being the first one, is why do you think 
their ADPs being pushed down versus their performers last year. And just, I think that this one is team maybe. Um, I think it's just he, your way you're building your team, like all, like your actual fantasy team context. Okay, so you you guys answered that already. I think I think the next one, Carlos Santana, he was the forty fifth. Did I say that right? Go. You said it yeah. right this time. Versus a uh, great player last year versus going off the board at 143. So he's going off the board last out of all these players we're going to talk about. Um, I, I, I'm trying to stay out of the analysis and leave it, analysis and leave it to YouTube, but I, I think this is age and I guess lack of track record here um, of batting average. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, it, people, people, you, don't, people aren't buying into that. I'm just getting, I don't want to steal it away from, because I'm not, I'm trying to just ask the questions here. Well, I just think like um, if you look at the batting average, it's funny because you have 259, 259, 229, and you're like, oh, damn, that's low. And then 281. And then if you combine 229 and 281, it's almost 259. So it's kind of <laughs> like that's like what his batting average should be. And then oh, I that's think, coincidentally, yeah. Streamer or Steamer, Streamer, Steamer, uh, Steamer has it at 260. So maybe that's what they're looking Maybe yeah, that's what- Totally. Like I think that makes it, I think the, I think the projection makes sense. So, it's not that I don't like him. I just think that there's, you know, there's no speed there. What, what's, what did you say the picket that he's going at right now is? Um, 143. 143. I'm so okay with the price. Bad. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fine. If you miss again, out on early, early first baseman. Um, but again, like go that way. Yeah. Mike, was, Mike, what do you do? You like the price of Carlos Santana at 143 or the price of? Uh, I'm tired. Arizona Diamondbacks starting first baseman. You're tired uh, too. Chris, Chris oh, wait. Walker. Walker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're tired. It's midnight here. It's midnight here on the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you like the value of uh, Walker or Santana Mike? Goldschmidt is not the first baseman for the, for the uh, Dimebacks. He's the first baseman <laughs> for the Cardinals. Christian Walker, I actually like more because there's a speeding component. Yeah. Like uh, like people like uh, people forgot or something. Like he sold like eight bags last year, and that wasn't even a full time role. So like that the speed, and I think this it's like above average sprint speed if I remember correctly. So I'd rather have Christian Walker every time. And you look at Carlos, Carlos Santana, thirty four home runs feels like an outlier. Uh, like it just doesn't seem the average is the outlier. Well, well, I mean, and if you look at his, other than twenty sixteen, he's put up thirty. This was the second time in his career he's put up thirty home runs or more. He's always been a mid mid to upper 20, 23 to 27 home run guy. That's been who he is. So he's suddenly hit 30 for the second time in his career. And that was his age 30, what, 33 season? I, I'm not even buying 30 home runs. Really. 30 home runs might be like the, That's the ball, though. It's the ball. It is the ball. And it plays well to his skill set. I agree. I just, you don't think they're going to just drop that ball back a little bit? More to take like the playoff ball, maybe? I'm not planning on it. From what I've, what I've read and heard is that the reason why the playoff ball was a little deadened was because they had leftover balls from 2018. They they need to to do something, man, because honestly, I I enjoy baseball. I enjoy the home run like anybody else, but it's like when you're breaking home run records in the month of like August, that's a problem. Yeah. They just need to be consistent about the ball so that the players know and can adjust, right? Because it's like for the pitchers, if you spend your time adjusting to this ball that has – like whether it's reduced drag because the seams are lower or whatever it is, like that feels different in your hand, like Noah Syndergaard said. And then oh the next God. year, like yeah. the balls, the ball comes back and it's different again, you know. And then you got to readjust. I don't think I don't think that's fair. Just like be consistent with what the ball is, and if you're going to embrace home runs, then embrace it, but be consistent so that pitchers actually have a shot, you know. 
I think pitchers should be allowed to use some form of um something to help with grip, man. Cheating? Well, call some it what of you them want. do. <laughs> well, so a lot, most some, of, some form of cheating. Most of them, most of them, most of them use something. But have you seen Major League? The, 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 the scene where he's talking to Charlie Sheen. He's like, he's yeah, got Chris, Crisco, and he's like snot. He's like, you rub snot on the ball. Yeah, I remember that. Sure, people I, do that still. I did just watch that movie that's long ago. It but was on yeah. TV. Just it was on TV the other that's, day. I watched that's it. probably why I watched it. But I was just I'm thinking like, why not allow it, man? You're giving these batters every advantage. Give the pitchers a little something in return. The the hitters use uh, pine tar. The hitters use batting gloves. The hitters use everything for grip on their bats, and they get the ball that's bouncier. Why why can't the pitchers get a little something for like and even give them a little edge? Like it's so hard to hit the ball. That was the hardest thing well, to do. It's yeah, but it's frustrating when you have someone like Thor who has an amazing slider complain that he can't grip his slider because it feels like he's trying to grip ice or whatever the ter- whatever the quote was. I remember reading last year. I remember because I was a big Thor guy and I got burned because the guy couldn't grip his damn pitches. Because they insist on having him throw his sinker over and over and over. Again. Yeah, that's uh, that's a whole other dish. We, right, we one, keep... Sorry, one guy that um, did I sorry did I cut you off? No, no, no. no. I was just to say he just needs to get traded already. That's all I was gonna say. Oh, uh, Thor. Yeah, he just needs to go to a team that can appreciate him and his. Well, how would they trade him after they? Anyways, I don't know. Um, okay, one guy that I'm I'm always debating with, and I actually. I took Mancini in one draft and I got Guriel, Yuli, in another draft. And no. he was a 52nd ranked player um, last year and he's going off at 113. I, no, just, I, 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 I'm not buying into anything. Nothing's packing, backed up in the, in the data from what I remember with him. I'm just not, I don't, I don't, see, I feel like he's. His home run took a huge jump. And yeah, to- Toby, you mentioned earlier that you like him, so you guys are going to disagree with each other. Here. Yeah, we are going to disagree. I, I'm okay with the bat. Okay, I think the batting average is legit. I think he's a solid floor, but I think last year at age 30, in his age 35 season, from suddenly be a 35 home run guy or even a 30 home run guy, like, no, like juice ball or not, like really, he's just he's suddenly going to be a guy who hit. He's never had over 20 home runs since he's been a major leaguer. And now you're going to tell me he's a 30 home run guy. I could sell out 25, which is still fine with a solid 280 bag average, which is good, but eh, I'm not excited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing for me with, um, uh, with Guriel that I found really interesting is I was in this position in, in my last draft where I really wanted Michael Brantley to fall to me and he didn't fall to me. And I was super bummed and Guriel was still on the board. I think it was around like pick one third. 120 some no it had to be 130 because all i do is draft at the back end um <laughs> my, my drafts this year have been first 10th uh 13th 14th 14th and 15th that's where i've drafted in my sixth draft it's back end loaded yep but um and then i looked at his projection and his projection is virtually identical to brantley's but he has uh first base and third base eligibility and so I think the key thing for me with Guriel is, yes, I believe in the batting average. Um, he's been a consistent producer from a batting average perspective. That's actually why, like, in a number of leagues, like, before he got, before he got that wrist injury, I was targeting him. Uh, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, whatever it was. Um, you know, because he was going, like, past pick 200, and he was a batting average asset. But if you look at, um, if you look at him, uh, his hard hit rate has surged. So over his last 80 games, 
his hard hit rate is up to 42%, which is a high for any 80 game period by, I don't know, by about 5%. His ground ball rate is also down. Uh, he used to be a really high ground ball guy, but it's under 40%. And earlier on in the year, it got as low as uh, the low 30s. And so I think he's another guy who, um, who has been able to make a uh, swing change um, yeah. and, and elevate the ball a little bit more. Let me just see this before I, I say it. Um, yeah, yeah, he has, he has 19 home runs at home. And that short porch with the Crawford boxes, a guy with his hand-eye coordination, um, you know, like, it may make it easier for him to pull the ball into those Crawford boxes. Now, I would like have a Bregman, on, basically. Uh, similar to Bregman, although Bregman has more home runs on the Well, road. yes. And yeah. Bregman's a better hitter. But I'm just saying it's a poor man. The idea is yeah. like what Bregman does, because Bregman isn't a power hitter, so to speak, but he makes up for it, being such a good hitter. And exactly. purposely pulls the balls and all that. So Yeah, so he had a 4% increase in um, – in his pull rate last year, I'm really interested to see what his pulled fly ball rate is. And his uh, launch angle went up three uh, three degrees. Yeah, his pull, yeah. So he definitely hit the ball in the in the air more. His pulled fly ball rate was up eight percent. So not only did he 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 hit 28 more fly balls in 2019 than 2018. So if you wonder like how a small change in the ground ball rate can really have an impact, he hit uh, 29. Um, he hit 28 more fly balls that year and then in terms of the pulled fly balls that he hit he hit 23 more and so but that's not predictive pulled fly ball rate is not predictive um generally speaking so i think like the steamer projection of 24 home runs is solid like you know yes an increase in home runs because he's going to hit more fly balls um but probably a decrease because he's not going to be able to pull as many into the crawford boxes as he did but overall i like the solid profile like he's going to be in the middle of that lineup he's going to play every day the batting average is really good. He's got first and third uh, position eligibility. He gives you five stolen bases, which at third base and first base is not nothing. Um, and so, you know, he doesn't strike out ever. Like, he seems to be getting better. So I'm, I'm fine with him where he's going. He's actually a guy that I don't mind targeting. Like, him and McNeil are guys that I really like to yeah. get in that kind of 80 to 100 range to, to support batting average. Well, that's because you, that's because you drafted the back end. I've been fortunate enough to have the yeah. second pick, the fifth pick. I had the 14th pick once, but didn't get him there. So maybe that's, he's just never been a target of mine because the opportunity, mm. it wasn't really like him or somebody. And again, I guess the, another reason why you shouldn't like, I guess, like I said, 24, 25 home runs. I'm okay with him falling into because of the ballpark he plays in, because with a 3.8 barrel rate, you know, it's, nothing but yeah. sheer falling into it and the pulling and all that. So, so why do you guys think. think he's been going so much later than his performance indicated from last year? Because no one's buying in. Everyone's like me and thinks it's all fluke. When I realize yeah. it's – trust me, there's – there's, there's yeah, just, just in summation, I guess, because I know you've discussed. But well, no, 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 I'm saying there is tangible change that I may have not been as hip to. Like I, I do remember looking at him a little bit, but the tangible – I love tangible change. I do see it in the profile, and – I can buy in a little more to him, so I'm I'm not as down as I was five minutes ago before Toby spoke on him. So thank you for that because I, I honestly haven't looked into him in a long time. I haven't looked at him, I haven't looked at him in literally in months because since I did last time I did my first base ranks, so it's been a while. So I appreciate you bringing that back up. I do like the tangible change. I love that stuff. So I could buy a little more into it, like I said, but I still am not as optimistic as maybe a Toby is. So I will probably won't own him. So guys, uh, tell me. Uh... Is this something or nothing? 
Look at Yuli Gurriel. I'm gonna I'm gonna list three players: Yuli Gurriel, uh, Jose Abreu, and Max Muncie. So three different players. But does it matter that Gurriel and Abreu? They're high in my in my mind. They're high batting average guys, and they never walk. Um, I think so. They're batting average is going to their high batting average is going to be um i guess heightened by the fact that they, they don't have they don't walk so they're going to get more at bats and, and the opposite way muncie walks a ton but his batting average is sort of sluggish sluggish but it's not going to hurt you as much because it's not as many at bats going going into things so i guess the question is um to summarize guriel um for the same reason we talked for the same reason as the other two is there is there an added boost there because he doesn't walk and uh, for for the batting average component, I'll let you answer that one, Toby. Something yeah, or mean, nothing. Something or nothing. I mean, be, because of the plate appearances, or yeah, because it's going to get you. It's going to get you more at bats versus plate appearances. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, it's a give and take always. Um, so Muncie's, pro- you know, Muncie theoretically in the same number of plate appearances, he'd have a higher OBP. And depending on where he is in the lineup, he should score more runs. So I think it's just like a give and take, um, really. And like part of Muncie's approach, I think, is he's got really good plate discipline. He swings at uh, good pitches. And so that's one of the reasons why his power works the way that it does. But from a batting average perspective, I think it really is a, about contact rate. And uh, Guriel has an elite contact rate. And then he's also fairly aggressive um, as a hitter. So he puts a lot more balls in play. So from a putting balls in play perspective, I think absolutely – um, there's some benefit to that. And I, I think the comp between him and Abreu, obviously Abreu having a ton more power, um, is, is a good one, though. Like the underlying plate approach is pretty, pretty similar. And, and yeah, it's a diff- you're getting a different player than Muncie necessarily is. Does that just make bring sense? it up because yeah no that, that makes sense. I just bring it up because I remember I was listening to something actually years ago and they they were talking about the opposite effect of Joey Votto. Joey Votto is a very um, very strong in the batting oh, average man. category. How, how the but, mighty have fallen. But they're saying what what the what this person was saying and I was listening to or was reading or listening to something this was years ago that he doesn't he's not as helpful as you would think in a five by in a standard five by five because the batting average doesn't help you as much. He's not he's hitting three thirty or whatever, but it's across a very limited number of bats because he's going to walk 120, 130 times. So that's sort of what I was getting at here. I, I, I see. I see what you're saying. I mean, yeah, in some respects, like there's not as much volume in, in the, um, yeah, in the plate appearances. So it, it, it will have less of an impact overall on the line, but I think it's hard to argue like with an example, like Joey Votto, it's a good one to give to understand the point, but like, um, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's, it's definitely it definitely has an impact for sure. Oh, I don't think it's so much in Guriel's perspective, but I think it it's um, maybe more of an impact on Muncie, where you think that while well, he hit around two fifty, I don't I think it's not going to hurt you as much as it seems because he still scored a hundred runs and because he gets on base and he's still going to get his home runs and RBIs. Yet that batting average of two fifty really doesn't hurt you as much as just looking at it on the surfaces. So I think maybe he's maybe a little bit underrated. With respect to that, that yeah, so that's, that's yeah, no, that's that's a good point. And every every little bit counts. I mean, how many times do you find yourself in the in the end of a season and you're just like you go into the last week and there's like five guys bunched up and like one, you know, point zero zero one in any direction, you know, can get you three or four points in a row to league. 
Absolutely. Okay, well, ask, last, ask, last one here. Ask is, Zach how that worked out for him the final day of one of our home leagues. Oh, oh did you talk about the one where I fell from first to third? And I, I went from third to first? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thought I just mentioned that one. Go ahead. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Um, it's a true story, though. Um, last guy, Eduardo Escobar. Uh, last year, he in the player raider, he ended up at 47. Um that would um, be 47th if you wanted to yeah, let's make sure say that. Right. Uh, and he's going off with an ADP of 124. So, um, Toby, you wanna, uh, do you want to start here? Um, sure. Yeah, I think with Escobar, actually, it's kind of, um, it's kind of fitting because uh, I was listening to a podcast earlier today with uh, Max Freeze and uh, Bubba, and they were talking about the earned home run metric that um, Max Freeze has developed. And he was talking about um, how Escobar had like one of the highest rates of barrels to home runs. Like it was way higher than league average. And that uh, as a result, he out, way outperformed like what his expected home runs Did you mean home runs to barrels? Way higher home runs to be said, be said uh, higher? Yeah, so like I can't remember what the percentage was, but it was something like he had more home runs than he actually had barrels all season long. Oh, wow. um, and so I think Crazy. that's why you see, I mean, I don't know why, what steamer calculates, but I think that home run projection of, of 25 seems maybe slightly more reasonable. The one thing that I would say about um, Escobar that he has going for him is that he hits a ton of fly balls and he pulls a ton of fly balls. And so he kind of falls into the Bregman, um, he kind of falls into that Bregman, even Guriel bucket where um, those are the guys that generally outperform them. And the question is whether they do it on a consistent basis. Cause like Bregman is always among the league leaders in um, pulled fly balls. Cause he hits a ton of fly balls and he's got such good, um, you know, bat to ball skills. So um, I think a lot of what, whether he's able to repeat that home run total comes down to whether he's able to repeat that. Um, let me just check really quickly. Well, I was just looking. I remember looking yeah. at Escobar, and I, if you just look at like something as simple as the splits, man, it was impressive how like he hit for like sixty points less batting average in the second half. But you, if you look at his counting stats, he basically mirrored the first half. Like he just lost that batting average, which I was surprised he sustained for as long as he did. But there's a lot to not like about that profile, and I'm just not. <laughs> yeah, that's well like, put, Mike. Like I'm like I'm looking at it right now, and in um. In the last in in uh, twenty seventeen, he had forty five. Um, uh, he had forty five uh, pulled pulled fly balls. Um, he had forty six in twenty eighteen, and then in twenty nineteen, he had seventy five. So he um, sold out completely. And so, from a percentage standpoint, yeah, he'd been in like the low to mid twenties in his pulled fly ball percentage, and it jumped all the way up to thirty three percent. And then he ha- he hit a ton more fly balls just because he was playing every single day. So I think there's a lot of – I'd have some skepticism about whether that power returns. And I'd also be – I mean, he had almost 700 plate appearances. I'd be interested to see what his, like, runs and, and RBI per plate appearance was and whether that aligned with, like, his OBP, which is low at 320. Um, and if those home runs go down and the RBI total is going down, there isn't a lot of speed. So, you know, and he's, he, he hacks at everything. Uh, the contact rate actually decreased and his strikeout rate decreased. 
So that doesn't really jive. So I'd expect an increase in the strikeout rate, which uh, Steamer also says. So I think the Steamer projection is very reasonable for him. And it's really like, especially where he's going, that's not something that I am really interested in because it's not good at anything. Like it's very average at everything, but it's not like good at power. It's not good in any, either of the counting stats. It's not good in speed. It's not good in average. And where he's going, I think you can still get um, some really good players. Well, I just thought I'd mention that Guriel had 31 home runs and only 19 barrels last year. Since we since <laughs> Ooh, <yeah. laughs> so I just thought Gosh, I'd bring that shots fired. <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean the thing is, like, I just happen to have um, his page up still. I trust <laughs> I trust Guriel 10 times out of 10 over Escobar. I'm not comparing the two. I just thought it was a very because you mentioned that one little stat. Totally, totally, it stuck totally. out. It's one of those things that stuck out. I mean, like Touché. I had. To, I had exactly. That's exactly all I was going for was not comparing the two. I, like I said, Guriel over Escobar every day of the week. I it just there's so much more to like in the profile. Just that one particular stat, I couldn't help myself. So we can move on. No, you uh, uh, you got that was that was a good one. I I enjoyed that one. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad. I'm glad I brought something to the to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! This is where we get to close it out. I guess Toby. Thank you for uh, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It, it. This ran way longer than we anticipated, so we're so we're super grateful for your time, man. Real quick though, let everybody remind everybody if they don't already know where they can find you, what you got working on, what you do, all that good stuff. Yeah, so you can. Um, uh, my Twitter handle is the by far the best place to reach me. It's at batflipcrazy. Um, I also have a podcast that we discussed earlier in the show. If you just search for batflipcrazy or bat foot crazy fantasy baseball. Um, it should show up there. I put out at least one pod a week with my uh, co-host Bubba, um, who's awesome. Um, and then I, I'll probably be doing some solo pods. I'm hoping to try something where I do like a very short, like five to 10 minute uh, podcast every single day, just kind of recapping um, general thoughts and any particular performances that are kind of jumping off the page with me. So hopefully we can do that. I have a website, batflipcrazy.com. I don't update it as much as I should, uh, but it does exist. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm, 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 I'm always down to talk fantasy baseball. I um, really appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast, especially as one of the first guests. I feel um, very honored. Um, uh, and yeah, so, uh, so definitely follow me on Twitter, engage. It'll be, it'll be a ton of fun. Yeah, Toby is a great follow. I, I say that. Meaning, meaning it, even though he's probably going to unfollow me after the whole Guriel thing. <laughs> but, for sure. But, you know, I'm going to change my name to, to Barrels Over, you know, Home Runs, and then unf uh, unfollow you. So. Well, thank you very much for that. And yeah. all seriousness, everybody, thank you for listening. Don't forget, you can follow the uh, us hosts, us co-hosts, Zach and I. You can follow Zach at Zach Roto. You can follow me at Mike underscore Curland. You can, find the, you can also find our podcast page on twitter at draft champagne because we pop in bottles that's how it works but in all seriousness guys we do appreciate you listening and we will talk to you soon